Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. Here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. We're being manipulated. We know we're being manipulated. Social media and the algorithms on social media, they're manipulating you. The news entities, the news agencies that are out there, they're manipulating you, like it or not. I present as Exhibit A all of the banter today, all of the scuttlebutt, surrounding the NBA draft. Of course, everybody talking about who's the number one pick, who will go in the top three, all of that. But beyond that, what the national media and various outlets are peddling to us is sexiness. They're, they're, they're shoveling Kevin Durant our way. Kyrie Irving. The Lakers. Trading into the draft, getting the number 35 pick from the Magic. Is that a big deal? ESPN thinks so. It has has one of the top headlines today. Lakers trade into the draft. Why? Because it's the Lakers. It's sexy, folks. Never mind that it's the 35 pick in this draft. A lot to talk about, a lot to dissect today, but be mindful of the idea that you're being manipulated. Bleacher Report and others telling you that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, that's a big thing today. Never mind that what we're going to see really is a bunch of teams in this NBA draft cross their fingers, sign of the cross, make a draft pick, and hope that a 20- or 21-year-old kid can come in and and be a worthwhile asset long-term. The mock drafts are done, and they're out there. But coming up uh, 5 o'clock today, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific time, uh, we will see the start of the NBA draft. I feel like we're being manipulated. Peter Sampson, I want to kick this around with you a little bit. Um, Kevin Durant, maybe he's just a guy who loves to be talked about, but some news today uh, that, uh, you know, hey, there's a uh, possibility that Kevin Durant is, quote-unquote, considering options with his future. And that could open up a trade on the Brooklyn front. Feels to me like we have the combination of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn, major New York TV market, and the NBA draft. And maybe this is not unlike the news that we have seen on an NFL draft day where Aaron Rodgers was rumored to be at odds with the Packers and on his way out and demanding a trade. And everybody went, well, wait, he said this stuff months ago. It feels like this is a peg. It gives us a day today. There's a peg here to hang a bunch of stories on, and Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving become among them. The Lakers trying to fix themselves becomes among them. Never mind that the Lakers were broken for the last few months, and we all knew it. it it's like it has to happen today. It's going to happen today. Uh, and by the way, Kyrie Irving, according to reports, has given the, net, the Nets a list of teams that he would consider working with. And guess where they are? Los Angeles, Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Dallas, and Philadelphia. Uh, None of those teams have the cap space to acquire him, so get it out of your head. 
But it feels to me like just today is a day where, hey, until the draft happens, Peter, you're just going to see a bunch of entities and agencies manipulate people. Yeah, I mean, that's all that happens right now. It's All eyeballs are on the NBA. You get the clicks. You get the reads. You get you listen to the sound bites. You get other people to listen to them. And I don't think it's any accident that this coincided with the NBA draft because either it's true and Kyrie wants to get out, which wouldn't necessarily shock me. I mean, you'd think that's crazy except for the fact that it's Kyrie. Irving, and you know that draft capital is going to need to be part of that, and here comes the draft, and you have six hours to basically make your move and get me. The other option is, again, with all eyes on the NBA, this is just a situation they're using Kevin Durant as leverage. Pay me, and now, oh, by the way, one of the top five players in the NBA, top 20 all time, you're going to lose him if you don't give me that max contract that you're hedging on. But, John, doing it today, doing it in the last couple hours, completely intentional. Yeah, and I think in and I think most people know it, right? I think you know, mm-hmm. it, my mother, she's on Facebook, and I think she's well aware that she's being manipulated by the algorithm. You know, she just gets stories that, oh, whatever her friends are into, that's what gets pushed on her timeline. I think the NBA does the same thing, or or the news entities especially do the same thing on a day like today, where. They just, you know, fill in major star, fill in major network, uh, or excuse me, major market. And aside from the conversation that we're having about the top three picks in the draft or what the Blazers can do, every other story is about a major market or a star, retread star that we've heard about. And I don't expect that you're going to see Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant stay in Brooklyn forever. But I also think, like, there's some Blazer fans who are emailing me and messaging me and, and going, hey, are the Blazers a player here in this thing? And I have another friend who, uh, you know, I was, like, not even aware that Bleacher Report put it out. But it, it really doesn't cite any sources. It's just kind of speculating, spitballing while we wait for the draft to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all, if you really sit back and look at it objectively, it's all just noise. I mean, it makes sense why it's happening. You can sort of look at it from, you, you know, Durant's perspective, the team's perspective, the, uh, you know, Kyrie's perspective. But ultimately, look at it from the media entities, from the website, from the Twitter accounts perspective. This is the day to boost your numbers, to to take advantage of the major interest. It, and, of course, you you hit it right on the money. Well, what are the, where are the cities? Oh, L.A. Oh, Miami. Oh, of course, all these, you know, Philly, who could still potentially be a contender. None of it's an accident. Let's talk about what the Blazers need to do. I, I uh, posted on my Instagram today uh, a little reel where I talked about what the Blazers need to do in the draft. If you're following me on Instagram, you can know where I'm headed here. But if you are a Blazer fan, I said it on yesterday's show, I think the goal for this season, get it out of your head if you're you're saying Blazers – you know, in the Western Conference Finals or Blazers in the NBA Finals. Let's not make that leap right now. I don't think it's realistic to make until we see a Blazers team that we could all foresee as a top-four seed in the Western Conference. They're not at that point right now, even with the move that they made yesterday, uh, trading for Jeremy Grant and giving up very little short-term. And uh, it is a, uh, a win-now move that mortgages a little bit of their future but not a lot of their future. I like the move. The more I looked at it yesterday and into the evening, I said, you know, if you're a Blazer fan, you have to love this move. Jeremy Grant's coming to town. Uh, you're going to get um, a, a very a, a very uh, passable, uh, you know, forward that you can play alongside Damian Lillard. Let's let's stop the the hyperbole. This is not the best power forward that that da- Damian Lillard's ever had as a teammate. He's not Lamarcus Aldridge, but I I like Jeremy Grant's game a lot, and I think. 
given that Damian Lillard needs to have the ball in his hands all the time, it's not a bad move. This is a guy that can be one of your big three. That said, Peter, uh, the goal for this Blazer team in my eye is be entertaining and be fun next season. How many moves are they away from being entertaining and fun. I think they're just one move away. And the thing is, having a top seven pick, look, you're either going to get a guy that's going to give hope to the fan base, whether realistic or not, you know, if you make a move, say, for an OG Ananobi, who I think would be a perfect fit and would really, I mean, go a long way along with Grant towards making the the team not a uh, finals contender by any means, but you're talking... Just fun. You just want them to be fun. Fun, and you can get to the second round, but also the hope of just drafting a a guy like a Shaden Sharp or a Dyson Daniels. People get excited about the young guys, especially when they have that raw potential. Either way they go, it sounds crazy to say with all the mess at one center court, the Blazers are in kind of a can't-lose situation today. In yeah, they're playing, they're playing with house money. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about this, too. I'm framing it with the potential sale of the franchise that we all know is coming down the pipeline. And I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about, like, if I am a potential buyer or a bidder on the Blazers. What do I want to see? Well, I want to see the arena filled up. I want to see some enthusiasm. I want to see some hope. I want to see a little bit of energy around. So it does make sense to me that they would make some moves that mortgage a little bit of their future in exchange for uh, getting a player. Now, OG Ananobi, give me an idea of what kind of player he is, Peter. Uh, You know, he comes from Toronto. Why do you think he fits alongside Lillard and alongside Jeremy Grant? Man, he he is the the three, the small forward, the the true wing that the Blazers have always been missing. You know, Aminu and Harkless and, and Evan Turner and all those guys. Alan Crabb, I mean... Despite being pushed out, and the only reason he's he's sort of being pushed out of Toronto, it's because uh, Scotty Barnes emerged. You know, he was almost rookie of the year. He's a yeah. multi-tool player, and Pascal Siakam, who's All NBA. They already have wings, but OG Ananobi, man, he's a slasher. He's a good three-point shooter. He's a great good versatile defender. defender. Really good defender. Yeah, you match yeah. him and Grant with Nurk in the in the the front court. That's a good defensive squad. Do you, does it concern you that he has not been able to stay on the court? This is a guy. He's played ninety-one games in the last two seasons combined he's only reached the 70 game mark once in his career I like his age he's young enough that you're you're going to get some time with him but um, does that concern you at all it's a little bit but not entirely it's sort of like looking at a guy like Nasir Little where if you just look at the games played you can go man that guy's injury prone but what was he he had fainting spells so they had to rule out heart stuff he got COVID lost 20 pounds and then he had a shoulder injury you can't necessarily say that he's injury prone but yeah that definitely makes you take a pause and go well what's going on with this guy's physicals because he needs to be on the court what will it take to get him because if you had a grant and a Anobi front court, you know, that that would get people excited, right? Oh, yeah. So if you're Toronto, if I'm Toronto, I, I want I want more than just the seventh pick. So what is what are you gonna have to give up to get him? Yeah, so you're gonna have to give up the seventh pick, certainly. You're probably gonna have to throw in that Eric Bledsoe expiring contract, about fourteen million dollars to get within the contract threshold. And then there's going to have to be some sort of sweetener. You might be able to get away with it for that, the expiring, but you're probably going to have to toss in a sweetener. I don't know if that would be a Nasir Little. I'm thinking more along the lines of Keon Johnson, who still has loads of potential. But again, he's he's another guard. He hasn't popped in any real way. He's just a raw, athletic, 20-year-old 
guard. And uh, I just, I, I hesitate. I guess I would uh, part with Nasir Little, but he's shown me enough in this last, you know, year being on the court that I don't want to give him up. I want him to be my backup forward. Here's another point, too, that has come up. Yesterday, we see the move for Jeremy Grant. Uh, you know, the, that's a player that. You know, and most of the time you don't hear fans talking about trades and then actually see the trade happen. This was a rarity. Like, this thing had been talked about for a long time. It happens. Joe Cronin got it done. Good on him. But it made me think about Neil Olshay. And if Joe Cronin happens to pull off the trade for Ananobi, what, what does it say about Neil Olshay's tenure? Not as a human being. We've already ruled that he's, you know, probably a terrible human being. But what about... His ability as a GM, because he said, hey, you have to have a willing trade partner. And if Joe Cronin could get this done, he will not have only ushered out C.J. McCollum, uh, Norm Powell, and Robert Covington. He will have brought, made two deals that made the Blazers uh, more interesting at a time at which you know none of us thought it was possible. What does it say about Joe Cronin and Neil Olshay? Yeah, real quick to that point, Josh Hart and uh, Jeremy Grant combined for you know 38 points a game last year. Combined, they make less than C.J. McCollum, so that tells yeah. you what you need to know. But yeah, Neil Olshay, look for his uh, qualities as I'll say a second round drafter, very good in the second round, finding fringe guys, and that is a talent. But when it came to not even making the home run deal, but just a, a single and a double on the trade market no real success he was too timid and i yeah. i don't know if it was a fear to get fleeced because then yes. people would make fun of him but it was always you would hear after the fact he would leak it out to the the same old sources the same old voices in social media and say oh well the blazers made an offer but they wanted too much and yeah. like give me a break i know for a fact a Fact, John, that the Blazers could have had Paul George without giving up Dame or CJ, and you should have done it. And I know people are going to say, oh, well, Yusuf Nurkic and a first-rounder for Mason Plumlee. If people knew what Yusuf Nurkic was doing in Denver behind the scenes, the first-round pick was the cost of taking that guy. It just happened to really work out for Portland. If I could turn into an FBI profiler here, what I would say is, if I'm looking at Neil Olshay, I see a tremendously insecure person. Despite the fact that he was in the job as general manager of the Trailblazers and he was out front, he had been a soap star, he was very insecure. He wanted to craft the narrative. He wanted to control all of the media members. He went to great lengths to control the Blazers' media partners and what was said about him or tweeted about him. It was, it was uh, really eye off the ball and kind of, uh, kind of weird, if you ask me, that the general manager of the team is so consumed with what is being said about him, this radio show included, and myself included. So he was very thin-skinned and he was insecure. I think it manifested itself as you talk about him trying to make trades. Like, I, I don't think he wanted to make a mistake. And I think he was really concerned about looking like he got had in a trade. And so, therefore, he didn't uh, pull the trigger on a trade unless it was the equivalent of, hey, we're creating a trade exception or we're saving some money. It was very, he made very logical small deals. He was the master of small, insignificant deals for a franchise that needed some big swings because he, he didn't want to get burned. He didn't want it on his record that he made a bad trade. I think you're right. The other thing that I think happened that dovetails with that, because he's insecure, because he wants the narrative out there that he's a great drafter of talent, I think what he did with those late picks, Peter, and a lot of his other former draft picks, like Alfaruk uh, uh, Aminu was his draft mm -hmm. pick back in the day with the Clippers. He traded for those guys. 
he got Alan Crabb, he got Myers Leonard, he got you know all these guys that he that he uh, had drafted, and he set them up with minutes that they would not have got anywhere else. It was evident to me and to other GMs that were snickering around the league. They were saying, "Gosh, he really overvalues his draft picks." I don't think that was it. I think he wanted to craft the narrative that his draft picks were better than they actually were by feeding them minutes and opportunities. And I'm going to throw C.J. McCollum in there. Like, you know, there were some franchises that would have given C.J. some minutes, but not like the Blazers did. Like, on a really good team, you you look at C.J. McCollum, yeah, he developed or blossomed after several years into a guy who was a starter or maybe a fringe all-star. But Neil Olshay was fast-tracking him there from the beginning. Like, he wanted C.J. to be another home run so he could say, I got Dame. I got CJ. I drafted Al Farouk Amino. Look at his numbers now. Look at how well he's doing in the league. Never mind that you set him up for those numbers by overpaying him and putting him on a roster where he would get a ton of minutes that he could get nowhere else in the league. So I think he did those things uh, with various players over the years. And and never mind that you know the Blazers identified Dame long before Neil walked into the room as the general manager. But I think he was really worried about his own perception, his own. Uh, you know, the narrative on his career as a GM and a drafter. And I got to say, I think it held the franchise back in the end because what was good for his image wasn't necessarily good for the brand or good for the team playing on the court. We'll talk about draft memories, best draft picks in Blazers history, and other, other stuff coming up. We're moving towards a draft. You'll hear it live right here on the station you're listening to is we will announce the picks as they're had. We've got great guests on today's show. I want to talk a little bit about Caleb Swanigan coming up next as well. I found some stuff out as I talked to a former Blazers basketball operations staffer who, uh, who broke my heart when he told me that the team knew Caleb Swanigan was in trouble and didn't do enough. I'll tell you what I mean next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Most of you know that uh, you can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing. Uh, I had a piece this morning on... Caleb Swanigan, who, uh, you know, joined the Trailblazers in 2017, drafted out of Purdue. He already had a difficult life as a, as a kid. His father was uh, addicted to crack and struggled with drug abuse, was uh, extremely overweight. He weighed more than 500 pounds, and he passed away when Caleb Swanigan was 14. Caleb's mother had six children. He moved in and out of homeless shelters as a kid. He attended 11 different elementary schools. He got to the eighth grade. He was six foot uh, three, and he weighed uh, almost uh, 260 pounds. And he was giant. He did align himself with a high school coach who really benefited him and helped him and adopted him. And became his agent, even, as he went off to pursue an NBA career after being uh, in a McDonald's All-American as a high school kid and also uh, Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. Caleb Swanigan went to Purdue, for crying out loud, because people in Indiana 
take care of other people in Indiana. And the people there loved it. Uh, I covered Purdue University as a beat reporter years ago. And I can just tell you that the fan base in Purdue at Purdue reminds me a little bit of Washington State and Oregon State with a Big Ten flavor. Just uh, same mentality. You know, they're not Indiana. They're not Notre Dame. They're Purdue. It's a substance thing. And Caleb Swanigan joined the Blazers. And I had a guy who was a longtime NBA executive reach out to me after the Blazers drafted him uh, late in the first round in 2017. And he said, oh, Blazer fans are going to love this guy. I remember Caleb Swanigan going to Summer League and talking about what was important to him. Here he is. I uh, won the championship this year. I mean, I don't go anything to win. I know a lot of guys want to go in second year to get shut down. I don't want to be shut down this year. I want to play. It's, it's high-level basketball against high-level players. I can't simulate that ever. So it's an opportunity to play with a crowd and get a real feel. So I want to play every game that they allow me to play. I want to play all of them. He wanted to play them all. Think about that. I was thinking about that today as I wrote about Caleb Swanigan at johnconzano.com. I'm not going to get into the full story, but a Blazers basketball operations staff member reached out to me. And this is not somebody I was close with. Okay, so you can tell this was something important to the individual who was reaching out to me. And I had made a comment the other day on the radio show and also on Twitter that, you know, it, it was sad to me that Caleb Swanigan passed away at the age of 25, but I also feel like if Caleb Swanigan could play better, the Blazers would have been around him in a supportive way that they were not around him at the end here. Now, full disclosure, we've all dealt with people who have uh, a mental health issue going on. It's not always easy to get those people help. Sometimes they don't want help. Sometimes you can do everything in your power, and they still won't take the help that we all complainly see that they need. That's It's tough. I mean, this is a challenging thing. So uh, I'm going to ask a question, but try not to point an accusing finger. Should the Blazers have done more to help Caleb Swanigan? That staff member told me, they didn't do enough. And he said, we didn't do enough to help the kid. He said, nobody cared about anyone's well-being at the time. We should have done more to help the kid. He told me that, you know, people will remember Swanigan being drafted by the Blazers. Then the Blazers, you know, he went to summer league. He had a really good summer league. Everything was really encouraging. You heard his comment there about the second summer league. And he was excited to go back for that second summer league. And he did. And then the Blazers traded him to Sacramento midway through that second year. He didn't play much in Sacramento, played only 10 games. Uh, a calendar year later, the Blazers were in trouble. Yusuf Nurkic was hurt. Zach Collins was hurt. The Blazers needed a, some depth in the front court. They needed, they needed a body. They needed a warm body to play some games. I can remember them being in trouble. So they traded back for Caleb Swanigan. They brought him in for the second tour. Then pandemic hits. And here we are in the spring of 2020. The games were shut down. The league was desperate to play, so they formed the bubble. And Swan again had every intention of being there in the bubble. Then what happened? Some time passed. And you can remember, like, Yusuf Nurkic, 
Zach Collins, the guys on the bench that were weary. Like, going into the bubble, Peter, do you remember this? Like, the Blazers kind of benefited from that pause because Nurk got healthy and the Blazers got a little rested. They were weary and sputtering when the pandemic yeah, hit. Yeah, badly and just so banged up. Some significant injuries, but even beyond that, just clearly just worn out for minutes. Yeah, they were worn down. And, and I thought their performance in the bubble was admirable. But it also was one of these cases where it was like the, it, it kind of broke their way in a weird way. Like nobody would say a pandemic is great for you. But for the Blazers, like it was they were better off having that pause in the action. But the problem for Caleb Swan again was that, you know, he had always battled weight. He had, uh, you know, his closest allies would tell you that he had he had battled, you know, sort of the family of origin issues that that he grew up with with being transient and homeless and you know there was some mental health stuff that would 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 pop up once in a while and uh you know Swanigan needed basketball he needed the bubble he needed like just like when he went to Purdue or what that high school coach that got him he needed the structure around him he did not get that with the pandemic going on and in fact he originally told the Blazers that he would be there his agent said uh, uh, he would be at the bubble the staff member I talked with told me that the conversations that the Blazers were having were very different. They didn't need him anymore. They had no use for Caleb Swanigan because they had Yusuf Nurkic get healthy. So suddenly they were like, we really don't need him in the bubble. And oh, by the way, if he didn't go to the bubble, they didn't have to pay him. So the former Blazers employee told me that he recalled a conversation in which he overheard a front office member say that he hoped Caleb didn't report to the bubble because the Blazers wouldn't have to pay him. Uh, you know, he was supposed to go to the get tested for COVID, then get to the bubble. He told his teammates and his friends he was going to the bubble, and then he opted out. And then he fired his agent. He got into it, apparently, with that agent that was his high school coach and handler and really his adoptive father, he fired him, and then he drove across the country from Portland all the way back to Indiana with his girlfriend. The staff member told me nobody with the Blazers basketball operations knew where he was. On May the 8th of 2020, they noted that he began to post some weird things on social media. So on May 8th of 2020, he started sort of posting these cryptic messages, and then a day later on May the 9th, he deleted most of the content of his accounts. He left his Instagram with only one post on it, like he took everything down. The staff member told me, quote, multiple people in the organization let higher-ups know about it, and they said they were going to do a safety check. Now, I don't know if they did the safety check. Blazers won't confirm that. They're not going to talk about that. I understand why. But if you were the Blazers, you would get your head of security, Rick Riley, and get him over there to check on Caleb Swanigan. Fly him over to Indiana. He's under contract with us. He, um, uh, you know, get get that done. Get get that settled. Like, figure out, you know, get the guy some help. So that's in May of 2020. Now, of course, the Blazers went to the bubble. They were busy trying to play basketball. Pandemic's a weird time. Uh, you know, people were doing weird things left and right. So, uh, you know, it wasn't all that unusual that you'd lose track of a guy, but it it bothers me, and I think it bothers some other people that they lost Swan again, given his battles with weight, given his battles with mental health, 
given that you know he was acting erratically. Um, you know, the Blazers should have checked up on him. They should have done more, and I bet you they're kicking themselves for not doing it today. Uh, by December of 2020, a mugshot of Swanigan surfaces. Everybody had seen this thing. He got arrested in a traffic stop, 2 o'clock in the morning, in Indiana. He had three and a half pounds of marijuana in the car. He had some cash in the car, and the mugshot was alarming. I mean, he looked like he had gained 200 pounds from just a year before. And we have subsequently seen several photographs of Caleb Swanigan where he is he's twice the size of what he was before and people were giving him a hard time. And, you know, it's tough when you talk about somebody's weight being a symptom of larger issues because often when you bring it up, you know, it's mean to talk about somebody's weight. But I think the social media posts, the arrest, the mugshot, the photos of him showing him like, you know, 100 to 200 pounds heavier than, than he was just a year ago – um, it really should have triggered something with the Blazers. Like, I think they should have got somebody on a plane, sent him out to Indiana, did a welfare check, you know, tried to get him some help. I don't know if he would have listened, okay? I don't know if he was going to follow. Like I said, like we've all seen people battle mental wellness issues. Some people are really receptive to help. Some you can tell them everything you want. Uh, you can do everything possible, but you know, literally, in the end, if they're not into getting better, you can't help them get better. Um, it's a sad tale, this Caleb Swanigan thing. Like his story could have been an amazing, inspiring story. It could have been a movie, right? It's that remarkable to go where from where he came from, one of six children, homeless. All those elementary schools, dad dead at the age of 14. He had risen above all that. He had made it to the NBA. He was only in the league for three seasons. He only played 75 NBA games. Then the whole thing unraveled. Uh, and now Caleb Swanigan is dead. Like, I don't, I don't know what you or I could have done to help him. I, I feel in the end he probably needed the structure of basketball. Maybe he was teetering. Maybe it would have went sideways anyway. But the medical examiner has said that he died of natural causes. That is only to say that they are ruling out foul play and that it was not a suicide. So um, I fear what we're going to learn after the autopsy comes out is that it was either Caleb Swanigan in an overdose situation or he frankly had health issues that were related to his weight gain that just made living uh, impossible and cost him his life in the end. But at least one Blazers employee, high-level basketball operations employee, told me that he felt like the team didn't do enough. I said, who was responsible? Who do you blame? And he said, everybody, the whole franchise. It's a sad story. Leave it here. you got the bald face truth. <laughs> Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. NBA draft on today. I think it's exciting. I always like draft day. Love draft day. We've had some uh, big time draft picks. That didn't work out in the Portland market. Is it worth talking about that? Do people get tired of talking about, you know, with the number one pick, the Portland Trailblazers select Greg Oden 
from you know do people get tired of that peter yes <laughs> at least weary. i do i do, i remember when espn was doing espn was doing one of those uh one of those documentary specials on uh, Michael Jordan, Sam Bowie, The Pick. And they wanted to talk to me about Bowie. And I wasn't here when, when Sam Bowie was drafted. I'm, I'm, I was too young to be here working as a media member when Bowie was drafted. But they brought me in because, um, you know, I, I was here and I'm the columnist, radio show host covering the team. And, and also because I noticed that all the other people they were interviewing were afraid to say the team blew it. How do you not say they blew it when it came to them not picking Michael Jordan? I'm not indicting. I'm not saying I would have done differently. But I'm just saying, looking back, what a generational player was picked. They, had a, they considered him. They passed on him. And the Blazers had the two pick in that draft. Hakeem Olajuwon goes one. Sam Bowie goes two. Michael Jordan goes three. That's history. Number one, hey, Hakeem, you didn't totally blow it. Still a Hall of Fame player. Sam Bowie, Blazers blew it. They made the wrong pick. And and probably in today's world, maybe with some medical advancements and the ability to, to uh, evaluate his health, maybe they would have got it right. But... I just remember doing that documentary, and they were saying to me, you know, like all these other executives that had worked with the team were rationalizing the pick. You know, they had, you know, Jim Paxson. They had Clyde Drexler. They they knew they didn't need another guard. And I'm like, man, just pick the best damn player. Just do that. Like Bowie made sense. I get it. But looking back, they, they missed it. I think it's a bigger sin than missing on Greg Oden. Because on Greg Oden, it was, you know, Kevin Durant, generational uh, talent, also behind Greg Oden, goes number two in that draft. I I felt like, you know, the Bowie-Jordan one was more painful because Michael Jordan goes on to win six championships. Kevin Durant's gone on to become a multiple, multiple-year All-Star. And I can remember the comment Kevin Pritchard made to me before the draft he told me, we think Greg Oden has a chance to be a 10-time NBA champion. We think Kevin Durant has a chance to be a 10-time NBA All-Star. I think they got it half right. Yeah, I mean, they did. And you know what? Uh, I'm not going to defend that Oden pick. But, man, when he played, he was so, so good. But there should there should have been the concerns. I mean, the leg length, whether or not he even really had the desire. You know, there were questions about whether or not he even truly, truly loved basketball. And that that can be a problem when you face adversity. I remember I was never a fan of his, but Andrew Bynum, remember him for the Lakers? Yes. He, he was the same. He was dominant, but like the whispers were, he didn't just not love it. He he hated it, but he did it because he was a millionaire. First time he dealt with knee injuries, didn't have that desire, and his career went the same way. So, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but, I mean, you can't say that they didn't mess it up. Yeah, I, and here's the other thing. Like, look, when I say that they blew it on the Bowie pick, like, we just have to look at the facts. Like, Jordan became Jordan, Bowie became Bowie. Which of those guys would you rather have? It's a no-brainer <laughs> if you redraft that. Like, so they blew it. They missed They missed on that one, and that's their job is to get those things right. So I, I'm pointing this out in part not to bring up a bunch of pain, but to, to point out, like, there's going to be some mistakes made in today's draft. 
And it's really interesting as you look back at, like, you know, uh, the the NBA GMs love to play the game where they redraft a team or they redraft a draft class, and they go, okay, what well, who would have went high? Like, you go back to, you know, even like Draymond Green's draft class. You know, he goes in the second round of his draft in uh, in 2012. He's the 35th pick overall. And by the way, all the stories I'm reading today about the Lakers getting the 35th pick in the draft are about how, well, they, the Warriors got Draymond there once upon a time. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're going <laughs> that you're going to get him there. But if you go back to that 2012 draft, Anthony Davis was the number one overall pick. And Bradley Beal went third, and Lillard went sixth, and Andre Drummond went ninth, and then Draymond went 35th. Those are your all-stars from that from that draft. Like, those are the players that – and Chris Middleton also made an all-star game. He's drafted 39th. Those are your all-stars from that draft, six players. And, by the way, four of them went in the first nine picks. Two of them went in the next 30 picks. So you have uh, an opportunity, I think, if you're the Blazers, to know that in most drafts of the first 10, play, ten players picked, you get about three or four All-Stars in most drafts. And and they don't go one, two, three. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was the number two pick in that draft. He did not make an All-Star game. Dion Waiters was the four pick. Thomas Robinson was the five pick. You talk about busts. Harrison Barnes went seventh. Terrence Ross went eighth. Austin Rivers was tenth. Myers Leonard was 11th. So, you know, mistakes are made all the time. I, I'm i leaning and I'm hoping, Peter, they draft somebody at 7. I want to see him take a player and I want to see him get it right. I, I think it's very possible. And look, not I'm sort of hedging here because I think it's possible that also they are going to take a guy because Shaden Sharp, for example, Dyson Daniels as well, those are the two just highest ceiling guys. You build towards the future, but also, look, if you're really going to go big game hunting, and we talk about it all the time, if you're going to get a star player, you have to, quote-unquote, take them hostage, right? You can't do that until after the moratorium ends. That's going to be like six weeks from now. You want to have that asset armed and ready to go if you're going to make that move, and if nothing works out, well, hey, we have this sky-high talent just sitting here waiting to develop. Yeah, I think that is my hope for this team this day. I want them to be relevant and interesting. What do you want the Blazers to be next season? You need them to win big? What do you need to get to a game or be excited about the team? You tell me, 503-417-7575. What are you hoping for today? What are you hoping for next season? What is it that brings you back into the fold if you're a Blazer fan? Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Draft day, always exciting to see what the NBA teams are going to do. Something that happens today will shape the near-term future of the NBA, maybe the long-term future. I want your phone calls. What do you want from the Blazers today? What do you want from this franchise in the next year, the next season? Let's talk about the short term. 503-417-7575. Phone lines are open. I'll take your calls. I want to hear from you wherever you may be on this beautiful sunny day. Mark in Portland, probably on a golf course. 
What's going on, Mark? Yeah, I just got done golfing. I was uh, hit my approach shots well, but I was three putting everything. So it's always something. But uh, with Michael Jordan, I just wanted to say I was here. I've been here my whole life, and uh, in college, if you look back in college, he wasn't a dominating college player like Bill Walton or Bill Russell or Jabal. Or he he had Sam Perkins. He, he might you could argue he wasn't the go-to guy on his own college team. So nobody knew he was going to be a superstar. And if you were back here, no guy in your position was talking about controversy like they were with Odin and Durant. There was, there was a, a choice between those two even before the draft. I think since we had Clyde Drexler, who was an all-star, and everybody could see uh, we needed a center. Yep. And, you know, now I agree with you. In hindsight, you should, you should look at every draft as the best player. Detroit, the Pistons taught us that a three-guard offense can win NBA championships, especially the way the game's played now. But uh, it was there was there was a difference between those two drafts. And I, you know, if you look at the NFL, Tom Brady's the goat. Every team in the NFL passed on him five times. Yes. So, so I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Like Justin Herbert, they the Miami picked the quarterback from Alabama ahead of him. We'll see how that works out. But that could be a huge mistake. Yeah, it, it looks like one already. And I and I think look, you, but. You know, you think about this. Like, the Blazers had Kiki, they had Paxson, they had Drexler. I mean, Michael Jordan, you're right, it was crowded already. But can you right. imagine Can you imagine in today's game a Drexler-Jordan combo? Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I imagine all the time still if Arvidas Sabonis would have came to Portland in 86, uh, Michael, we wouldn't have to listen to you guys talk about Michael Jordan being the automatic <laughs> go. <laughs> He'd have won three or four, maybe, because yeah. Portland needed that center. That's why we gambled on Bowie, because we, we had the pieces around that. And uh, if Sabonis was there with the, with an outlet pass that you know simulated what Walton did with Drexler, Kirk yep. and Porter, Walton made the most devastating fast break, Dave Torzik, Bobby Gross. I mean, they weren't that fast. It was just yeah. those, the outlet but here's pass. A, but here's the thing. If they have Sabonis... Just play devil's advocate here. Do they get Terry Porter and Kevin Duckworth and Jerome Kersey in the draft? Because they may not have been drafting in the position they were in. They had Terry Porter and Kersey and Drexler when they drafted Sabonis in 86. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, my brain doesn't work well, but he, yeah. he just they weren't able to get him on the roster because of politics. The Russians didn't want him to come here. It's a long and heated story, but uh, yeah. well, by the time, he was a great but, player. By the time they got Sabonis, it was evident that he was a shadow of himself, but he was still really good, and he could still pass it. And, man, oh. I'll never forget him, Peter, in 2003. He finished that 2002-2003 season. It was the only season I got to cover him. He was going to make $5 million to come back the next year, but that roster was kind of broken, and people know that you know he was far from home. Uh, he basically said, "I'm good. Keep your five million. <laughs> he didn't. You know what? Come back. Play with Ruben Patterson. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the infamous game watching Rashid throw the towel in his face. I mean, Sabonis was so disrespected. And we talk about Jordan as the what if. I mean, really, what if we had just called tails and just gotten mm-hmm. Hakeem Olajuwon, but it, which would have kept Drexler here longer too because they wanted to play together. You know, redo Fice Lamba Jamma. But man, if you ever see that old like snuck out footage of Sabonis from '86 '87, it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Here's another one, too, because you have to assume, like I said, you have to assume that the franchise 
changes that one pick, maybe they get Jordan or maybe they get Sabonis, and then they, they have to keep all the other personnel moves in place. Because I don't I just wonder, like, do you keep that team together in its form? I guess that's what I was getting at. Do you have a team that would have included Terry Porter and Kevin Duckworth and Jerome Kersey and and, you know, added Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler and like, yeah, in theory it's great. I also kind of wonder, like, you know, you look at the Blazers' history and kind of the history with injuries, you know, they probably don't end up with the number six pick in drafting Damian Lillard if they hadn't had some turmoil in front of those drafts, too. Like, there, it takes, it. you know, there. it's a circumstantial thing. It's always fluid. But I am always excited about draft days and watching what happens with these teams and the decisions that they make. And I'm never surprised that teams that have executives that have engineered success by and large seem to make good decisions or if they make a bad one they move on from it very quickly they don't, they don't let it linger and affect them for four or five six years as the blazers did in the summer of 16 where they had a bad summer and then it just it it is carried forward all the way to now mike in portland has called in mike what's up man hey john first of all man that last guy that that was on talking about michael jordan yeah wasn't Notice when he's in college. That's not true. Michael Jordan went to the finals and won it. Yep. So how can how can the world not see how good he was? He didn't just get good in 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 the NBA. He was good in college. So he's wrong there. And, and also, John, I I hope they draft a complete ball player. I'm tired of hearing we need a guy that can catch and shoot one dimensional they they draft in forwards how about drafting a center yeah yeah uh, you know yeah i know it, look i know what you're saying you want you want if you're going to pick a player mike you want a player who's going to play both ends of the court and you expect to see that at number seven i expect to see yeah. that and john you i was yeah. thinking and i know you know oh, hold this. on hold on no. i'm going to have you hold wait i want to have you hold i'm going to get back to you after the break okay you okay. hang tight Stay warm, Mike, in Portland. More coming up. You got the BFT. BFT. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Mike in Portland uh, got cut off at the end of last segment. He was talking about what he wants to see the Blazers do tonight. NBA draft starts at 5 o'clock. We'll have it all right here. Blazers have the number seven pick. Mike in Portland, continue. I hope you stretched out. Go ahead. Stay warm. Hey, John, check it out, man. You know, I feel bad for the, this group of people that watch basketball because all they see is three-point shots, right? Right. They don't see they don't see the fadeaway. They don't see the hook. They don't see uh, people down in the paint. They don't see people, um, you know, like uh, getting in front of a player and blocking and falling, drawing. You know what I'm saying? Going to the free throw line. They don't right. see none of that. They are missing a lot of basketball. Because all they see is just a three-point shot. They're missing a lot of players. And the reason Michael Jordan was so good 
is because he had to have a lot of junk in his trunk because those guys was playing monster defense. So he couldn't just score one way. He had to have a whole bag of tricks to score against the way the game was played back then. Today, they, they don't play defense, John. You know that guy uh, on, on Golden State? Steph Curry? Don't nobody guard. Steph Curry? Stephen Steph Curry? Curry. Don't nobody yeah. guard him. Yep. They don't guard him. And like, Al, like Jabbar said, he, how come these three-point players can never outscore the guys that were shooting twos? They can't. Well, I I think you're you're going to see some guys that shoot threes that eventually become maybe the all-time leading scorer or maybe rise up the ranks. But I don't disagree with you, Mike. I think some sometimes the game puts me to sleep because it looks the same. It's just spread the floor, pass the ball, shoot a three. I'm not seeing a lot of that motion offense that results in like really good basketball. It's a three-point shooting contest. If you shoot the three well, you win. You don't, you lose. Like Everybody's kind of figured that out from an analytics standpoint, and, which is why, God forbid, we put a four-point shot in, because what you're going to do is you're going to drive by a uh, playground, you're going to see a bunch of kids shooting half-court shots, because they're already doing it. They're watching Damian Lillard from 37, they're watching Steph Curry shoot from long range, and they're going, oh, it's not good enough just to shoot a three anymore. I, I, you know, I need to shoot from, you know, from the logo, uh, so to speak. I, I, there's part of the game, like, I marvel at the skills of Steph Curry. I do. I think he's incredibly skilled. He's very creative. Uh, for people who remember uh, Pistol Pete Maravich, uh, draws comparisons with Pistol Pete. But, you know, it, it, you look back at the basketball that was played prior to the three-point line, there was some beautiful basketball played. There was some beautiful basketball played after it. But I feel like, the the game has moved away from that and has become space the floor, shoot a three, uh, and you know the Warriors did it better than anybody else. Uh, you know in the last decade they've done it better than anybody else on a on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, I want to play some punch and audio. We're going to talk more about the draft. We have so much more to talk about in the world of sports. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, it's 50 years of Title IX being celebrated across uh, the country today. Sue Bird was asked what Title IX means to her. Punch it. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of twofold. One... I feel really lucky. I never knew a world without Title IX. I always had opportunity. There was like one time when I was super little where I had to play on a boys soccer team and otherwise I've always had the chance to play. So what Title IX is, it, it just means opportunity. Like I said, I'm now 41, I'm about to retire. So I think that's the good thing. The second part of it is, as much as we always need to celebrate history, I would love a world where we're not still hearing stories where people have to be held accountable in terms of Title IX. Um, recently, I saw in San Diego State, there, there's a lawsuit happening. So I feel like the next 50 years, hopefully we're just celebrating the history because all women have opportunity, all girls have opportunity. That's Sue Bird talking about Title IX. I think it's uh, been remarkable to see what has happened to women's athletics over the years. And certainly I don't think it happens without Title IX. 
Um, there are uh, some news stories out today about new legislation, expansion of rules. But I want to say this. Malika Andrews, University of Portland graduate who works at ESPN, she'll become the first woman to host the NBA draft tonight. And she'll be doing it on the 50th anniversary of Title IX. I think that's pretty dang cool. And uh, I think it's remarkable, not just geographically for our region, but for Malika and for women everywhere. Who You know, you're looking at an NBA now that that uh, all these years later is finally going to have a female host of the draft. Stephen A. Smith talking about ownership. Joe Lacobe owns the Warriors. Jerry Buss with the Lakers. Stephen A. says the Warriors have set their sights on Laker-like, uh, Laker-like uh, success. What does he mean? Let me say this real quick. People need to mention the name Joe Laker, the owner for the Golden mm. State Warriors. He ain't playing. This man wants Jerry Buss numbers. He wants to surpass the Lakers and the Golden, and, and I'm sorry, in the Boston Celtics. Yep. This is not a man that is sitting around and saying, I got four now, and I'm good. The night they won the title, that's four, that's four. He's coming, and he's willing to spend the money. He will. Look, look, Jeannie Buss might have something to say about that, but I just, I don't think the owners are, I don't think it's like athletes. Athletes are always rubbernecking. I don't think the owners in this case Golden State is looking over at the Bus family and the legacy of Jerry Bus and Jeannie Bus and and going, hey, we need some of that success because that Lakers story, it's like an empire, you know, it, the rise of an empire, the fall of an empire, the drama of an empire. You don't necessarily aspire to be that if you're the Golden State Warriors. You all you have to do is be yourself. They they have had incredible success in this last decade. And it coincided with, you know, Joe Lacobe buying the team, getting being becoming the controlling owner of that team. Chet Holmgren, Gonzaga big man, got some questions about his game. Matt Norlander joined the Jim Rome Show to talk about Chet Holmgren. Punch it. He's super dedicated. The profile you're so generous to, to mention, Jim. Like, I, I don't believe there's a player in this draft who is more obsessed with basketball and absolutely dedicated to being coached than Holmgren. I think that's an important thing to know as well. Like, he wants he wants no platitudes. He, he wants none of your compliments. He doesn't want to hear any of that stuff. He wants to live in a gym. It got to the point, Mark, you told me, where they had to, like, seriously go to him and be like, no, Chet, you don't understand. We're not allowing you back in the gym right now. You have to give your body rest. And he would still try and find ways around it, go to an assistant, be like, man, just come get some shots up with me. Like, that's a good thing, but at the same time, he's still got to learn to do what you want to do. There's a certain science to developing your body and not overdoing it there. And because of that, it's why, you know, front offices are really taken with him. But there's still hesitation, and I get it. Like, I get the jokes are going to be flying because of, of how he looks. But he's an awesome competitor, and I will be fascinated to see how his career goes from here because again never seen a guy like him yeah you, you haven't seen a guy like him but you've seen some similarities he's 190 pounds seven feet tall 
He has to run around in the shower to get wet. We know that. There's your first joke. But, uh, look, Jabari Smith is going to go to Orlando at number one. Chad Holmgren's probably going second to Oklahoma City. Halo Bancaro is going to the Rockets at three. If I'm predicting a bust among those three, like, I would bet Holmgren is the bust. Like, if I had to pick, like, you have to pick who's going to be the bust in those top three. Peter, is there is there any hesitation, or do you go Holmgren is the biggest risk? Uh, he's the biggest risk. I actually, I think he has the most upside, but you have to be willing to uh, have the courage to swallow a potential whiff with, say, the number two overall pick. He's got a low floor. You could see him just being the next Darko Milicic or something like that. But, I mean, look, if he actually is able to adapt, put muscle on his frame, I mean, he could be Giannis-esque. It's a risky swing, though. Zach Collins scares me. Yeah. Right? Like that comparison, Gonzaga. I mean, there's some natural comparisons there. But I think Holmgren, the difference is I watched Holmgren dream, bring the ball up the court. I watched him dribble behind his back. He's seven foot. I get it. It's unusual. But at 190 pounds, I don't know who he's guarding in the NBA. And I watched him in the Portland first and second rounds get pushed around by smaller players. I think he's going to get lunched as a rookie in the NBA. Uh, can he stick it out? and become the kind of player that um, that uh, develops. Jalen Rose thinks so. He thinks Jalen Rose uh, thinks that Orlando should take Holmgren at number one. What's he talking about? Punch it. Orlando for a team that's drafted so very often in the lottery. Mm-hmm. Like That's fair to say. You, you want to make sure that this becomes your franchise. Like they're still looking for their franchise player. Is, is that is that fair to say? Like like Wagner out of Michigan is is, is somebody that I love. I love what Jalen Suggs he brings a lot to the table. Than I thought he would. And, and Cole Anthony is the scorer, but but uh, uh, bank uh, the uh, the big fella that made seven threes at the end of the season, uh, Mo Bamba, my guy Mo Bamba. Like 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 he's an intriguing prospect. But what do you put alongside of them? I say based on what I see from their team. You might have to just roll the dice on Chet. No. The answer is no to that. Like, yes, they're looking. I think it's a dumb question in the beginning for him to say, are they looking for their franchise players still? You know, they're picking at number one. There's a reason There's a reason they're in this draft lottery so often. I don't think they've, had their, they've found their franchise player. I think there's a chance that there isn't a franchise player in this draft. How about that, Peter, for a hot take? Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't know that Jabari Smith is going to be, you know, a super, superstar, but I, he's going to score 20 a game in the NBA. It's just how do you rank him, but it's it's possible. Yeah, it feels to me like there isn't, you know, and I, I get it. Like, LeBron only comes along once in a blue moon, but I don't see a no-brainer that the general managers are going, I need to give up whatever to get to number one to pick this guy or that guy. So I I wonder if we're going to see kind of a quiet draft with teams sitting back and not a lot of activity. I wonder as the draft approaches. I want you to leave it here. We'll have the draft. We'll give you the picks. We'll give you the analysis. We'll lead you right into the Blazers pick at number seven right here on this station. We have everything you need right here. Uh, it'll be uh, this show running till 6 o'clock in the Portland market, and then Peter Sampson and the Pulse taking over. I think the Blazers' pick should happen right in there somewhere. Uh, leave it right here. you got the BFT statewide. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. NBA Draft coming up tonight, 5 o'clock. Anna's popped into the studio. I have a wild idea, Anna. Wild idea. You ready? Bring it. Peter, you ready for my wild idea? Oh, bring it. Okay, so you know how we have been talking about college athletics kind of getting a makeover and restructuring major college football, all that, name, image, likeness, transfer portal. It's just a mess. Um, I reached out to Mike Leach last week, and I said to him, what do you think about all this? And he said, you know what? It's fine. If we're, if we're going to let the boosters pay the players and we're going to let them bring in, the coaches would like the ability then, he said, if we're going to have this professional model, if a kid can't play, we have the ability to cut him, and we don't owe him a scholarship. It, it's kind of the balance of it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me now. Like, if you, uh, you know, accept a scholarship somewhere and you can't play, and you're going to participate in the name, image, likeness game and, you know, be uh, available to take money, should the programs be allowed to cut you and not have to honor the scholarship? Hmm. Create a real professional model is what he's saying. You can't go halfway. What happens now? So if a kid is at a team, on a team on scholarship, and let's say they get injured halfway through the season, there's what a, happens? The, there's a provision for injury mm-hmm. that allows the scholarship not to count if it's like a career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. If it's not, they have to honor the scholarship. You can't just say, oh, you're injured. Hey, you're no good to us. Uh, we, you, you, we don't pay for your school this year. So you have to. But this, most of those scholarships are renewable every mm-hmm. year. So um, – yeah, if they if they're if they're offered a scholarship, generally, that scholarship stays in place. Interesting. That's a whole nother wrinkle, isn't it? It is a wrinkle. Speaking of wrinkles, uh, Title IX <laughs> is celebrating its fiftieth anniversary. It's fifty years old. It's got some wrinkles, but Title IX essentially. And by the way, can we give a shout out to Richard Nixon? Richard Nixon gets vilified a lot. <laughs> can we give a Can we give a shout out to uh, Tricky Dick? He gets vilified and justifiably so Watergate and all that. But it uh But let's, Oh, that little thing. But if, as long as we're counting wins and losses, he signed Title IX into law. It was on his watch that Title IX came in. Mm-hmm. I do not see people talking about Richard Nixon today favorably. But maybe we should just go, okay. We'll give him that one. Give him the win on that one. Give him that one. It held up. (laughs) It was a good pick. Title IX, uh, essentially, at its foundation, if you're listening and and wrestling with what Title IX is, it it, uh, outlawed discrimination on the basis of sex. Uh, So it it was supposed to get rid of sex discrimination and provide opportunities for women in schools and whatnot, but uh, they thought it would happen overnight. It has been uh, it has been a long haul, but uh, certainly as a dad to three girls, I look at this and I go, "Hey, this should have been a no-brainer 50 years ago. It's a no-brainer today. This makes sense to me." Uh, I love that uh, Malika Andrews is going to be hosting the NBA draft tonight. I yes, mean, I think that's uh, she's a she's from Portland or at least she graduated University from of Portland. University of Portland. Right? Yeah. Yep. Didn't she come in like job shadow on your show? She just came too? in. She's really smart. I'll give her this. Uh, I got a call from Mark Spears, who was at ESPN at the time, and he said, hey, this kid at University of Portland, she's got a bunch of talent. 
she would just like to come in and talk with you for a few minutes. So yeah. she came down to the radio station. She walked in. She was not interested in job shadowing, doing whatever. She just asked good questions. Yeah. And I just thought, gosh, there was she want anything. She just wanted to know, like, you know, tell me about your path, your career, you know, your thing. Yeah. And then, you know, it was two or three years later, there she is, pop. She's on ESPN. It's been phenomenal to watch yeah. her uh, rise so quickly within the US ESPN hierarchy. Like, we should get her on the hierarchy, show. You know? We should get her on the show. It's like all of a sudden she was on the scene and then everywhere, and that's pretty cool that she's going to be hosting. Don't you think that. it also coincided at a time when ESPN, I think, was trying to do a really good job of <laughs> promoting more women to pos visible positions like that. Yeah, because yeah. ESPN had a little bit of an issue there, and I think a lot of people argue that it still does. Yeah. Uh, so sure, like I, I don't think that that has hurt, but I think she's talented in her own right. Yeah, I, no, I'm not saying she's not talented. I'm just saying like it, it was one of those things where like opportunity met opportunity. Sure. Like yeah. she was blossoming at the time at, at which ESPN was looking for somebody who's talented. Boom, she's there, um, and I think that's good. Uh, as a woman, Anna, Title Nine, you know, you think? Do you think back to because you didn't grow up at a time where there weren't sports. But I remember, you know, my Aunt Marlene, we've talked to her about this. There yeah. were no opportunities. She couldn't even be a broadcaster. There were no women on TV at the time. Yeah, I know. So I am grateful. Like, I didn't live and walk through that, but I am grateful for the opportunities that's provided because it is only when you talk to the women who have experienced it firsthand and, you know, had to fight that much harder for the ability to even play sports or to receive scholarships for sports that you really appreciate the impact of what happened 50 years ago. An opportunity is a uh, is a wonderful thing. But obviously there's still work to be done. I mean, we saw that as recently as, you know, the most recent videos with the differences between uh, what the women were getting with March Madness and their workout rooms and just kind of the accommodations that they were given compared to the men. So the work is not over, right? See, and I wrestle a little bit with all of this, not that part of it, but mm -hmm. okay. I think that some things are just, it's silly. It's silly to have two weight rooms at, at the same Final Four and have one of them be really nice and spacious and have a lot of equipment, and the women's to not. Yeah. That's just silly. That's right. common sense. Right. It's silly to me that the MLS players travel via charter, mm -hmm. and the players of the, uh, you know, the uh, parallel league, the NWSL, uh, the women of that league don't. They they fly commercial. Mm -hmm. We found that out. We talked to Morgan Weaver just uh, last weekend, the Thorns player, and she was saying, like, that's a, that's a real issue because – when they travel for a game, they have to play a game, and then they have to sit in that city. They do not get to come home. They have to travel commercial the next day through TSA, through the airport. They get home a day later that that doesn't afford them the same sort of training schedule, mm -hmm. right? We all know what it's like to travel. Sometimes it sucks to travel, right? And you have to work. It's terrible. Yeah. But here's where I I start to veer away from it. Even within, like, let's just use the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball as an example. We have a bunch of men that are playing these games. Sure. Even within individual locker rooms, there are very different ways that players are treated. Mm -hmm. Star players get star treatment. Barry Bonds, when he was with the Giants, he had two lockers. He had an easy chair. He didn't have to take batting practice if he didn't want to. Mm -hmm. He was a going to be a Hall of Fame player. 
had he not used the cream and the clear. Uh, he was going to be one of the greatest players ever, and the team treated him very differently than maybe like a rookie infielder sure. who they required to do X, Y, Z, and who, by the way, was making a fraction of what Bonds was making. There's a real uh, difference in the locker rooms. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of interesting that we're all now talking about, like, name, image, likeness. How is that going to change the culture of a locker room? Hell, we have locker rooms in the NFL where one guy's making $30 million and the other guy's making $1 million. Right. So it it doesn't seem to cause a problem there, but we're worried about it. And there's real inequity even within men's sports. If you bounce from sport to sport, you talk about what the average player makes in you know uh, MLS versus another sport, and nobody says anything about that. But then we we look at you know we look at women's sports, and I don't think you you have a comparison to the NFL. Like, there's no league that makes the money that the NFL makes that is an equivalent league that is comprised of women. There isn't a, another league that makes the same amount of money that's comprised of men. So there's differences when you get to the professional world. Should those Title IX conversations apply to the professional world or just the college high school world? Um, that's an interesting question because I think, you know, when it does come down to revenue, for example, how much revenue is this particular entity generating, um, that's kind of the breakdown a lot of the times between certain accommodations that are made. I, I do think it's interesting that soccer has made the strides within this last year to have more parity between what the men's teams and the women's teams are given, their revenue sharing. Um, in that sense, that's been a fascinating you know, development to watch. And I don't know. I, I don't have a really good answer to that. I mean, the NFL is sort of uh, on a tier all on its own. I just I feel like, like the WNBA, I'm not saying women shouldn't get paid. I'm not saying that the market shouldn't dictate what they deserve to get paid in the WNBA. It should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the WNBA has about $60 million in revenue every year. Yeah. The whole league, yeah. $60 million. The NBA teams will make $6 billion right. in revenue. Right. It's largely tied to television. Right. So I don't think the average NBA player should be paid the same as a WNBA player. I, don't, mm-hmm. I think that it's apples and oranges. It's almost like two different things, even though it's the same sport. Yeah. I think it's different when you talk about the U.S. national teams in soccer because they are competing in the same sport for the same entity. I get that one. And I go, okay, yeah, women in playing for the U.S. women's national team should be making com- comparable money to the men's players when they win matches and they get prizes and they get awards and they get travel. All that should be fairly equal. But I look into professional sports and I go, we're talking about a lot of different things here. Like I actually think Serena and Venus Williams, like let's use let's just use Serena Williams as an example. Like, I think she should be making more money than the comparable male player on her side because I think there's more endorsement money Mm -hmm. that is available to her, and I don't think anybody should bitch about it because I think she's earned it. So, like, is anyone even having that conversation that the WNBA players should be paid more more on par with what the NBA players are being paid? But they want raises. They want more money and you know, and and that is applied. We're we're hearing that conversation sort of bleed out, and it's not a Title IX issue because it's not applicable right. to professional teams, and you know that's that's not a university or a publicly funded thing. Right. But I just I went, you know, I was like, okay, what does the WNBA make? And I was like, sixty million dollars in revenue. That sounds yeah. like a lot. But then you look at the NBA, six point four billion. 
Yeah. Okay? So, and they made $7.9 billion the year before. So this is not, you know, this, this shouldn't be equal. In but if you're mind. looking at the principle of the matter, that gender shouldn't be, you know, the defining difference between what they are paid and what they are able to generate in revenue, it's it's almost like, are you saying that they should only have parity if the differences are a little bit closer? No, I'm just saying know? that the market will dictate what you should earn. Yeah. If that's, let's just say, okay, hypothetical. The television networks, the WNBA's TV rights are coming up too. Mm -hmm. Television network, and they're going to get a big bump. They're they're going to get a bump. Mm -hmm. Let's just say uh, that NBC or ESPN or they both say, "Hey, man, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. We got to have the WNBA on our station. We want the rights to that." And they get in a fierce bidding war. Mm -hmm. Let's just say it gets out of control, where like they end up at eight billion dollars of total revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you have eight billion dollars to play with. Yeah. Disperse that to players who are doing the work and are on television and earning that money. Yeah. But until you get there, I just think you have to kind of scale it as a business and go, look, you know, the WNBA cannot afford to pay players like the NBA plays. Them. Right. They can't. The WNBA teams, if you look at the whole league, they actually lose money yeah. every year. Right. The NBA does not lose money. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, you know, the college players, I think, you know, when you talk about publicly funded, Title IX, everything, U.S. Women's National Team, I, I, I get it. But at some point, I, you know, I think you have to acknowledge that there's more revenue generated in the male sports. It's been fascinating, and I think it will be fascinating to see how NIL name image likeness affects all of that because I think really motivated women who want to capitalize on endorsements um, – uh, all across the spectrum in terms of their talent and ability, if they are motivated and they want to go out and seek those deals, they're going to do really well at yes. it. And it'll be interesting in the next like four to five years to see the gender breakdown and how much athletes at the collegiate level are getting in deals and whether there is a massive difference between male and female athletes in that regard. The early numbers suggest that if you're a star, you get paid. Sure. Also that women, coll collegiate females, tend to have more deals, larger quantity than men. But smaller amounts. Smaller but larger quantity. Now, there's exceptions. Jade Carey at Oregon State has a million-dollar deal. Yeah. So she's going to skew the numbers a little bit at Oregon State. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what I found were that when I looked at the first wave, I was surprised it wasn't heavy on football and men's basketball at both Oregon and Oregon State. It was really uh, eye-opening to me that it was there were uh, opportunities in track and field, especially for women, but a lot of the deals were uh, apparel deals. Mm -hmm. They weren't. They didn't include like large sums of cash. Mm -hmm. So, I think you're right too because uh, I think some of the athletes now are just kind of figuring out, hey, I got to grow my Instagram following if I want to participate sure. in NIL. Yeah. Like you, you may have a eighth grader that you think can really play, but if that eighth grader wants to get paid. You get that eighth grader working on their Instagram account. <laughs> like that like that disturbing uh, little Gronk kid, you know, that's been uh, whoever is the marketing yeah. team behind him, man. They've been grooming him for NIL deals since he was like six years old. Wait till little Gronk uh, <laughs> files for emancipation. That's where it's headed. All right, leave it here. You got the BFT.
Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the draft is going to happen, NBA draft. But uh, I already have some breaking news in the sports world. It's not the news we're all looking for, but it, it is news. Um, we got a winner in this uh, Westminster dog show. Well, it is going to be a, a bloodhound named Trumpet that was named the best in the show winner. That happened today. Uh, by the way, it's the second oldest continuous sporting event in the United States after what? Mm, I second oldest continuous sporting event in derby? the U.S. Is it after the, derby? the, the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby really? is correct. There you go. Wow. Okay. Four-year-old trumpet um, <sighs> is the winner. Right. It's a bloodhound. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the bloodhounds. Thirty-five hundred dogs representing two hundred breeds took part in the competition. Um, Trumpet won. Uh, Trumpet. It, Trumpet beat out the Maltese and the French Bulldog <laughs> and the German Shepherd. And it beat out uh, Morgan, the NFL's Morgan Fox's little uh, French Bulldog, too, Winston. Yeah, Winston. Huh? He was in the running. He was in the non-sporting competition. The non-sporting. LA uh, Chargers defensive lineman. Yeah, there you go. All right, Anna, you grew up here in the Portland metropolitan area. You've seen some things when it comes to the NBA draft. Uh, get, tell us what it's like to be a Blazer fan. It's painful. Uh, it's sometimes <laughs> joyful, but it's been just real painful um, over the course of my life. Would you pick it any different way? Peter, how about you? Could, do you relate to that? Yeah, it's painful. You drink a lot. It's <laughs> rainy all the time, and we're just all sort of sad. But those moments of joy make it so worth it. You know, the Lakers have all their banners, and the Celtics have all their banners, and they can have them. We have one, and I wasn't even alive for it, and I know that was the most <laughs> magical experience that's ever happened in this city. And when we get another one, grown men are going to be crying and hugging like it, like it's <laughs> – Turkey winning the World Cup or something. It's going to be amazing. It's the best, but it's the worst. There you have it's, it. See, it's complicated, isn't it's it? It's the best, and it's, it's the worst. Complicated. It's funny because I think if you went and asked a Laker fan, what is it like, like to be a Laker fan? They probably don't even know. They don't know. They don't. Rings, baby. They don't, yeah. they don't know any better. <laughs> and But, you know, if you ask them what it's like to be a Laker fan, they'll say, hold on, I'm, take, I'm pulling on my Warriors jersey right now. <laughs> That's what they would say. That's Shots what they fired. would say, front front runners. Uh, <laughs> here's a a a big another win in the world of sports today. Ohio State University got a big win. They won the trademark for the word the. What? T-H-E. How can they how can they trademark that? <laughs> the Ohio State University is now trademarked the word the or the, and they are allowed to put it on a T-shirt. Just put the on a T-shirt, and we're all supposed to know that means Ohio State University. So the Ohio State University, as they introduce their players, they won it today. This is a 22-year-old court battle that has been going on, and uh, they have officially registered the trademark. 
and they will get the branding access to a word that is deeply meaningful, they say, to the school's identity. So <laughs> That's ridiculous. They, uh, they had a fight with the fashion designer Mark Jacobs. Okay. Who also filed to trademark the same word, and they won it. And uh, Ohio State said uh, that the word the helps them generate an average of $12.5 million in licensing oh my gosh. every year. Wow. They started using it in 1986 Okay. when they introduced a new logo. They were trying to get away from the OSU logo mm -hmm. that they had. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to distinguish themselves from Oregon State and Oklahoma State University. Mm -hmm. They started emphasizing, is it the or the? It's the Ohio State University in my book. It took off in the mid-1990s. They asked their football players to use it when they introduced themselves. Where do you go? The Ohio State University. Uh, Saturday Night Live has made a parody skit of them. Oh, aptly so. And yeah. uh, Home of the Buckeyes will now have the <laughs> I'm remembering the now, when I was little, I had an Ohio State Buckeyes sweatshirt. I don't know where I got it. My parents probably bought it from a Goodwill. I'm trying to remember now if it had the word the at the beginning of it. There you have it. Hmm. Trademarked. How is that even possible? I, I think the uh, Blazers, if they haven't, they've trademarked Rip City. They have? Yeah, Bill Shanley told me. Mm -hmm. I asked him, what did you get for that? He said, nothing. <laughs> um, they should have given him something <laughs> for his trouble. They've trademarked Rip City, but, you know, what else needs to be trademarked around here? You know? <sighs> what else? The BFT? I trademarked it. City Stun. of Roses? City of, probably. I don't know if you can do that. Rose City? City of Roses? Rose City? Maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, there you have that. So we'll talk more about the draft coming up, but you heard it there. You heard it here first. The uh, bloodhound wins, and the word the wins. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You got the BFT. I'm in studio. Anna, my wife, is here. Peter Sampson in the control room. NBA draft coming up at uh, 5 o'clock. Uh, it will uh, begin, and uh, we'll begin to give you some picks here in about 10 minutes as the draft comes up. Uh, I saw a story today I, I want to touch on here. Uh, there's a gentleman named Summer Clayton. Have you heard of Summer? Mm -mm. Summer Clayton has no kids in real life. But Summer Clayton has become a uh, father to 2.8 million people on TikTok. Oh, that guy. What, every week he sits down to dinner and he has a virtual chat with his kids. He looks in the camera. He has a conversation. He asks you how your day was. On one of the videos, I was looking at it during the commercial break, he teaches you how to shave. Like, he's being a dad. Uh, I want to play this. I want you to tell me if this is a hokey thing or there's a real public service. Here he is sitting down for dinner. He's got like a to-go box in front of him. He's looking into the camera. He's going to have a conversation with us like we're his children. Hey, how are you? Have you ever gone through a breakup and you're like, man, all of my joy is gone. All of my happiness and all of my energy is gone. Well... Similar things have happened to me, and I find that it's because 
I forgot these two rules. Never forget who you are and never forget who you have the capacity to be. Before you met this person, you had a whole friend group, you had hobbies, you had interests, and sometimes it's easier to throw those things away because you're becoming dependent on this other person to supply that joy in your life. I try and get my joy from God, but also I have other hobbies like photography, I have other friends that I can foster, and when you join in and make a new relationship with someone, don't forget that you have the capacity to continue building relationships, fostering hobbies, and continuing to build yourself so that you can continue to be independent while you love someone else. Okay, let's eat. There he is. Uh, as he's said, he started doing this in late 2020, and people jokingly called him Dad. His very first video was a how-to shave, as I mentioned, and uh, he is a, a corporate fitness uh, person, and he has a master's in kinesiology, but he stumbled onto something here. He has become a father figure to people who don't have father figures. Is this a gimmick, or is this a good thing? Hey, I don't care what it is. I think it uh, couldn't be a bad thing, you know? He's also got kind of just kind of a peaceful way of talking. It's very easy to listen to him. And I think he serves a role for people. I would, the birds in the background were driving me mad oh, when I was, was listening to her, whatever you? that was, insects or birds. Peter, <laughs> what did you think of his little spiel there? I mean, as long as the message is good, it's good. I mean, there, I guess there can be a little bit of a danger of building trust with susceptible people and then maybe sort of not having the best message. But... So I like it, but I'm going to say it's sort of a gimmick. I mean, it makes a difference on a superficial level. Hey, I learned how to shave, and I didn't have a dad to teach me that. This is great. But at the same time, I mean, maybe you can make more of a difference, you know, being a big brother to one kid in real life or something like that. Yeah, I, I wonder what his angle was, too, when I first saw it. Is that bad? Views. Immediately, I went, okay, what is he trying to do here? Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I think, I think there are worse things on social media than a guy who's saying, from a faith-based position, hey, I want to provide a mentor to people who are on this uh, garbage app wasting their time. <laughs> so at least, you know, you learn to shave. You get a little life advice from quote-unquote dad. Uh, Anna, you're big on mentors in general. Why? Why are, why are mentors important? Jeez. Um, I mean, even if you have both parents in your life, you know, somebody outside of just your parental figures can make a big difference because you might be more inclined to listen to the advice that they have to offer rather than your own mom and dad. And frankly, there's a lot of us that are walking around with estranged relationships with the people that are biologically our parents. Mm. Or, like in my case, my parents were just so busy trying to survive and work as, you know, fresh immigrants from Taiwan that they recognize that, hey, man, we don't. We're just trying to like keep a roof over the head and keep food on the table. We don't have much time for the whole mentoring thing. And oh, by the way, we're not very familiar with this whole country either and the customs of it and how to get ahead in it. So they wisely, from the time that I was like four or five years old, stuck me with people who cared, who uh, did understand how the system works and helped me up until, I mean, they helped me through even today. Yeah, I, uh, I've been thinking about the conversations we've been having about college athletics in particular with the transfer portal and framing it with the idea that, you know, mentors, We always, I don't know what you think about when you say mentor, but I think about somebody who's older, more experienced, right? Yeah. That's, should, that's the basis of it. But I wonder in, inside college programs if you've lost something in a program when you have upperclassmen that are transferring out all the time. 
leaving early for the draft in the case of basketball and then transferring out. And I kind of wonder, like, we've watched the mid-major programs in, in the NCAA tournament thrive in this era because I think they are more seasoned. They've played together longer. You do have juniors and seniors playing against freshmen in some cases, mm-hmm. at, like the, the uh, Blue Blood programs. So I think you've lost some mentorship at those Blue Blood programs that, that you, yet you do have at the mid-majors. Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly valuable. You know, at Worlds of Sport, we were able to talk to former NFL players who discussed the importance of mentorship within professional sports and how vital it is to find a couple people that are older than you, that have made the mistakes, that can tell you what to avoid along the way and share their personal experience with you to help you, you know, avoid some of those and and make the right decisions as well. Yeah. Uh, big like Alex Molden was talking about coming into the NFL he had Anthony Newman a former duck that was uh you know in in uh, in the league could show him what to do guy that he trusted you know and then you got to turn and be a mentor to someone else too because I do think like it's a pay it back kind of thing I think it's why the Ryan Tannehill comments became so polarizing this last uh, NFL draft cuz you know they pick a player at his position the Titans do and he said, I'm not here to mentor this person. Basically, that guy's my competition. I, I heard from a number of people who play or had played professional sports who said, man, how can you say that? Now, Tannehill says his comments were out of com, uh, context since then, but how do you even say anything resembling that? Yeah. You know, that's your teammate. You're there to be a good teammate. Part of being a good teammate is helping the guy out next to you. But is, isn't yeah. that like part of the culture that we're seeing now? I mean, like we're talking, I know we're talking ad nauseum about NIL and everything, but it is sort of every person out for themselves. You know, what deal can you get? What can you do? And, you know, who are you, who's watching out for you? You are. But part of seeking and finding mentors is having the humility to sit down and be like, I don't know anything or I don't know everything and I got to find the people who are willing to invest some time in me and you know guide me on this journey and you know what from a mentor perspective I think there are mentor mentee relationships that benefit the mentor oh for sure that where you get sort of a renewed passion for what you're doing or a different perspective or you get somebody who really sort of sparks the uh, creative energy in yourself that brings that out. And then there are mentor-mentee relationships that are a time suck and an energy suck for the mentor. <laughs> yeah. And those are the mentees who come through the door with their hand out, I think, going, give me the answer. Right. Give me the answer. They're not, you know, they're not working toward it themselves. I don't think that's a relationship. That's like how a bird feeds a baby bird. <laughs> like, you know, nobody's there to give you the answer or give you, the, you know. So, And I also think there are some industries that are more – I think, receptive to that than others. What do you mean? I don't think there's a lot of mentorship that happens naturally in the sales world because maybe a sales manager could be the mentor or a retired salesperson, but I don't think somebody on that on your own sales staff, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, the salespeople are looking for the shortest path to a dollar, right? That's mm-hmm. been said over and over. Like, And I think a lot of times – you know, you're asking somebody who's saying, hey, you know, I know you need to feed your family, but show me how to do it, you know, and I, and I don't know if there's a motivation there for the uh, salesperson to train the underling 
to then become the Jedi. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I suppose they would have to most of the time not be in direct competition. Yeah, right. For but we have quarterbacks. We're pie. asking Brian Tannehill, who's in direct competition, to be a good mentor. Yeah. So be a good mentor, damn it. <laughs> Something in it for you. I'm sure somebody helped you. I had a lot of help along the way, and it came from unlikely sources too. It was not not like I was seeking out people. They just sort. I sort of looked up and went, "Oh, this person has been really helpful to me," mm-hmm. and I think. The the payback is, I think some of those mentors, uh, you know, I've, I've had a, the kind of relationship where they feel like they get to be really involved in something again, but they don't have to do all the, uh, the BS work, so to speak. <laughs> all right. The NBA draft is coming up. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. Here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. NBA draft is on. I know that uh, for those of you out there that are excited about the NBA, this is an opportunity for you to see the league take shape. A lot of misinformation flying around. We're going to give you the real information. Peter Sampson, you break in as picks are made. How about that? That works. And uh, we'll talk about sort of uh, the landscape of the uh, NBA. Now we've gone from Jabari Smith being the surefire number one pick to Orlando to now Paolo Banquero being the uh, number one pick. When the number one pick comes in, we'll know, we'll know, <laughs> we'll know who the number one pick is. Um, I just, every time I see Paolo Banquero, I think about that Formula One race and that awkward interview. Where the guy didn't know who he was talking to. I thought he was Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I wonder if Paolo Bancaro knows that Patrick Mahomes is going to go number one overall. <laughs> Looking forward to this. Uh, you know, Peter, what do you, as you, as we wait for this pick, um, let's talk about Bancaro a little bit. His game, probably more NBA ready than Chet Holmgren, so I, I could see why somebody would be interested in him. But, again, I come back to the idea that if we don't know who the number one pick is, this isn't that kind of draft. No, I mean, you can make a case for all three of those guys. And, I mean, frankly, you can make a case for even a a Shaden Sharps upside, a Jaden Ivey. I mean, it's it's really kind of open. But it's interesting that the Magic – look, Orlando needs scoring. Jabari Smith is going to put the ball in the bucket. But I do think that Paolo Bancaro, I do think he's got the the highest – floor like that guy's not gonna bust out you know what I mean even Jabari Smith he could end up as just you know a guy that can score and maybe not do a lot else Bancaro is gonna be a player it's just I I wonder if they're so indecisive which would be the most Orlando magic thing to do because look it all starts with ownership right or if they've just been playing this so close to the vest that they've actually just uh, given everyone a curveball here I actually think that maybe they're trying to figure out if there's a market, a trade market for Bancaro yeah. from one of the teams down below, and they tend sometimes to float these things out. I believe we're going to get a pick here from Adam Silver coming up. Is he close to making an announcement? Uh, he's still just kind of giving us the welcome to Barclays nonsense. Adam Silver on the podium celebrating the Warriors and $7 billion in revenue for the league. Uh, Adam Silver, if I could ask you a question for a minute. My hand is raised. What are we going to do to help these small market teams like Portland uh, 
compete in a league that is definitely skewed towards free agents, agent involvement, and frankly, um, you know, disadvantages to the small market teams like Sacramento and in Portland, and then he's going to say, well, this draft night is just a beautiful night, Gonzano, to, to uh, lay that out and tell you that, you know, this is the fairest process that we have. The teams with the worst records get to pick first. And to that, Mr. Commissioner, I would say, these teams that have bad records also have dumb executives. What are you going to do about that? Can we get rid of all these executives that are drafting here in the top ten? So uh, Adam Silver and his league will uh, – will change the the trajectory of some teams tonight. I love the fans. The fans are going to boo. The fans are going to cheer. The And we're not really going to know tonight who they are. And you love the NFL draft because we get to see the players' reactions. On the NBA thing, we will see player reaction, but they're not going to be home taking the call. I like the uh, the home taking the call shots. Yeah, um, I'm just fascinated by the different storylines. Like, I didn't know that uh, Bancaro's mom, Rhonda Smith Bancaro, was a former basketball player. That she played college ball at uh, the Huskies for the Huskies mm. and graduated as the school's all-time leading scorer. Um, so, and there was, I think I saw an interview where somebody was asking, you know, what kind of moves on the court have you gotten from your mom? And it was a move like, you know, close to the basket. And I, I just love that kind of stuff. I, I like that the players are in person there, but I, every year we get an awkward, somebody's not been drafted sitting around <laughs> the green room shot and it gets uncomfortable for us all. Yeah. Like, you know, there should just be a, Hey, timeout. We're clearing the green room after about 10 picks because uh, at that point you see no more. Uh, great setting at the NBA draft. They have all the teams' uh, names lined up, 1 to 30. Um, you know, the Magic will go first. Uh, the Thunder have the 30th pick. Adam Silver on the big stage with the podium. Full crowd there. Uh, full audience going on. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, for Blazer fans, uh, Peter, your your feel right now with the number seven pick, what is Portland doing? I think, man, I, do, I can give you two names. I I, th- I think they're, they're going to take someone. I think it's going to be either Dyson Daniels or Shaden Sharp. But ultimately, I think that word is going to come out shortly that that player is going to be on the move. And I, the more I look at some of this news, I've got some someone that I trust – uh, let's just say that is saying that this uh, Philly and Houston uh, mm-hmm. Eric Gordon rumor involving uh, uh, possibly Matisse Tybel, one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, they're trying to loop Portland in on a three-way trade. He's a shooting guard. It makes sense. His rep is Aaron Goodwin. It's and what's clearly happening is Goodwin is trying to route Tybel to play with Dame. At a certain point. And someone might want to shoot the messenger here. I'm wondering if they're really going big game hunting and they're going to sign and trade Anthony Simons for a big-time player. That's really what I think this is sort of heading to later in the summer. So I think ultimately tonight they're going to pick a high upside guy. Let's see what happens here. Orlando on the clock here in the first round. They'll have five minutes to make the pick. Will they take five minutes to make the pick? Or not? I don't think so. Like you know, don't you know? You've been waiting months now. <laughs> you should. You know. And, and so, what's your bet? Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro. Who's who are they picking? 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to say they're taking uh, Bancaro. Woj is never wrong. I think they're taking Paolo. But but I didn't like his language. He said they're considering. He's hedging. He's hedging. That he's saying that mm. he is looming as the front runner, which means somebody, look, obviously somebody from uh, Orlando is, is giving him this information, but I also think they're giving it to him for a reason. They're not giving it to him to make him look smart so he can break the news. They want that out there. Why do they want that out there? Well, they probably know that, you know, like this is the time to try to maybe drum up a trade uh, proposal from a team sitting at two or three that thought they were going to get Bancaro. So, you know, Jabari Smith looks nervous on the camera uh, as they show him. Chet Holmgren uh, sitting in there as well. But, uh, and, and by the way, did you see Bancaro's suit? I was just <laughs> tweeting about that. It's so bejeweled. I don't know if those are like Swarovski crystals that are uh, sewn into the suit, but they're almost like polka dotting his entire suit. It is Paolo. So it is going to be Bancaro who goes uh, number one overall. It, it, is that going to be official here? Have they announced it yet? But it feels like uh, the uh, the leaks are starting to come out as they always do. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So this probably won't be announced for another 45 seconds, but uh, we have it on very good authority that Orlando has chosen Palo Bancaro. Okay, so if Orlando's going Bancaro, again, get Patrick Mahomes, get a microphone in front of Mahomes, <laughs> see what he, find, what he thinks about this. Uh, then that leaves Jabari Smith going either two or three. We'll have to see what uh, what happens here with the two pick as Chet Holmgren was perceived to be the number two pick by all accounts and peter sampson you let us know when it's official will do but uh it appears as though it is going to be bancaro as the number one overall pick if you're jabari smith you gotta not be happy with this because you were you were rumored to be the uh number one guy but maybe he ends up in a better situation Oh, yeah, because I, I still think Chet goes number two. And if you're Houston, so he would go to Houston three. And, man, Houston is watching this Brooklyn situation. If that does blow up, Houston has like five Nets first-rounders from the James Harden trade. Those might end up very valuable. There it is. And it should be uh, coming down the pipeline yeah. anytime soon. Is it official yet? We are official now, yes. It is official now as Bancaro goes number one overall. And uh, here we go. Is this is uh, is this is piping up here? I love that Anna. You said bejeweled. Um, I just I'm really hoping that the Blazers pick somebody that that can help them. And it it doesn't need to make sense to me totally, like position wise. Like Anthony Simons doesn't make sense if you've got Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, but you pick him anyway because he's got upside. And you're better off for picking him instead of picking some stiff that fits your uh, position uh, better wise, uh, better. Uh, uh, give the Magic some credit too. By the way, they kept a secret. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought they were picking Bancaro. So uh, number two picks on the board, uh, Peter. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and we'll be back as Oklahoma City will be picking at number two. It looks like it's going to be Chet Holmgren going number two. Uh, we'll see what happens. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Number one pick in the NBA draft, Paolo Bancaro, goes to the Orlando Magic. 
Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren, is he off the board yet? He uh, appears to be going number two to Oklahoma City. Yeah, it looks like it's coming right here. Peter Sampson going to update us here. Uh, we will continue to update you on the draft. Chet Holmgren is the number two pick. He goes to Oklahoma City. Uh, now uh, we wait for the number three pick in this draft. Uh, while we wait, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is checking in with us. Uh, he is a big-time Purdue guy, so he is familiar with the story of Caleb Swanigan. I talked about Swanigan and, uh, you know, really tragic, sobering story uh, earlier this week as he uh, died at the age of 25. He had battled some mental health issues. He had battled weight. Jerry Palm here to talk about it a little bit. Jerry, how you doing, man? I am all right. How are you? Doing okay. We're just tracking the draft a little bit, waiting for the Blazers to make their pick at seven. But I want to talk a little bit about we'll Caleb Swanigan. Day ninety up yeah. over here. There you go. Pretty, pretty what, maybe while we're still talking, Jay Ivy could get that. There you go. Uh, I, give us an idea of what kind of player Ivy is. You got a chance to watch him at Purdue all year. Electric. I, I don't. I have never seen anybody faster with the ball in his hand in person. Now I never saw John Morant in person. And that's who Jaden patterned his game after. Uh, I never saw Russell Westbrook in person, um, but Jaden's as fast as I've seen anybody with the ball in his hands, and he works very hard on his game. So, you know, he's still got to work on his jump shot, got to work on some things defensively, but uh, um, whoever gets Jaden Ivey is hitting the jackpot tonight. I love that. Uh, you, we were talking earlier today on the phone about Caleb Swan again, and I want to share with our listeners a little bit of your insight. As a Purdue alum and a guy who covers sports at a high level, you have seen a lot uh, of stuff. But a story like Caleb Swan again, it, it was supposed to be a story that was a happy story. It does not end that way. He is dead at the age of 25. What was the reaction there uh, You know, amid the Purdue fan base? Um, the, the Purdue family is devastated uh, to get this news. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Caleb's backstory is pretty well documented. He was homeless, living in Utah. Um, his, one of his brothers got in touch with Roosevelt Barnes, who is coincidentally a Purdue grad, although that's not really why he ended up at Purdue. But um, Roosevelt adopted him. Um, helped him, you know, get the discipline he needed to become a great basketball player and was, you know, part of uh, a really, you know, sizable support system. And that's actually really why he ended up at Purdue was because Purdue infrastructure was built best to support, to give Caleb Swanigan the support he needed to become not just great, but to sort of, you know, keep his discipline that he needed to, to be great. Um, you ask anybody uh, involved with Purdue basketball, they will tell you he's the hardest working player anybody has ever been around. And Matt Painter has been with the program for 19 years and played with Glenn Robinson, who was had a very high motor. Uh, but um, nobody worked harder than Caleb Swanigan. Um, nobody played with the intensity of, of uh, Swanigan. And, um, but off the court, he was what everybody describes as a gentle soul. Um, he was a smart kid, got his degree in three years. So he played two, and then he went to Portland in the draft and then came back and finished his degree. Um, you know, it's, uh, but it's a kid who needed a, a really good support system around him. 
the NBA did not go as well for him as I'm sure he would have hoped. Uh, four seasons, bits and pieces of four seasons. Uh, started with Portland, traded to Sacramento, and then back to Portland. Um, and then, you know, COVID hits. And the thing about COVID is it isolated people from each other. And when Caleb probably needed his support system the most, he kind of walked away from it. And COVID didn't help in terms of, you know, the people who, you know, love him, wanting to be helpful to him, um, were not as able to do that as they could have otherwise done so. And I saw that where you wrote today that some of the people at Portland maybe felt they could have done more. Um, uh, it's probably a little harsh because I don't think he was open to it. It doesn't seem like he was open to it. Yeah. And you can't really force someone to take help. Um, but in the end, you know, Biggie's problems were, you know, primarily a mental health issue um, that, you know, some people knew needed to be righted hurt on um, constantly. And, you know, in the end, he kind of walked away from it and, uh, you know, lost his discipline, got big again because that's his nature. Um, but it's, it's it's really a tragic end to what could have been, you know, such a great story. It, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of a strange thing. He only lived to 25, and that's unquestionably tragic because I feel like he had so much good he could have given. And yet when you read his backstory, you wonder how he ever made it to 16. Right. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, with us. We're talking about Caleb Swanigan, passed away this week at the age of 25. Purdue guy who grew up in the state of Indiana. His father died when he was 14. Caleb was 14 when his dad passed away. His dad had battled addiction and was uh, obese. He uh, was heavier than 500 pounds. When Caleb was in the eighth grade, he was 6'2", 360. When he got to the NBA, Jerry, he and when he was at Purdue, he stayed in shape. Um, yeah. Y- yeah, y- you know, he must have had to work incredibly hard to be in that kind of physical condition. Yeah, and and he did. He had to to get into that shape, and he grew quite a bit too because he's six, eight, or nine when he got to the NBA. Um, it's just a remarkable work ethic, um, and the discipline it takes to have that work ethic. I mean, it was it was just. He needed that, and and people created an environment where he could do that, and he was very successful. And then when things finally went sideways for him, and basketball, at least as a player, didn't really look like an option for him anymore, and then COVID hits, I just think that was a, um, a toxic combination uh, in that young man's life, and unfortunately, he could not overcome it. Yeah, I think, you know, when when I uh, talked to the employee today that, you know, again, I'll echo what you said. I think it's it's incredibly difficult if somebody doesn't want help. You can identify the problem. You can try to give them help. If they don't want help, you're just not going to reach them. And I think that's going to be difficult. For those following the draft, Jabari Smith Jr. from Auburn goes to Houston, number three overall. Now it is the Sacramento Kings on the clock at number four. Uh, we're watching the draft, Jerry, and... When, Kay- when Caleb Swanigan was drafted by the Blazers, he was a first-round pick. That had to feel like a major win in the Purdue family because yeah. of what he had been through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Caleb getting a shot at the NBA, period. But being a first-round pick, a first-team All-American, 
Um, you know, the, what he had made himself uh, coming out of, you know, really anybody who exceeds at that level, you know, that's tremendous. But from where he came to be that kind of a player uh, and that kind of a, a teammate, I mean, really, that was tremendous. And it's, it's such an uplifting story, which is, you know, any young man dying, you know, at age 25, it, at some levels, tragic. Um, but what makes this feel especially tragic is what he had to overcome to be what, you know, we saw the greatness in him, what was, what was possible in him. And then it went away and it went away so quickly. It's, it's, it's really just stunning how it, how it all came out. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is with us. Um, I, I know that the medical examiner said natural causes. I suspect we're going to we're going to learn later as the autopsy is performed that that you know Caleb was battling some demons. He'd always battled weight. There was mental health uh, had become an issue. Um, you know, I don't think any of this makes it easier for anybody. But is there anything we can take away from this as as regular folks? You know, do we need to check in on each other? Do we need to to yeah. pay attention? Yeah, like, get, what's the win yeah. here if there's a win at all? Yeah, I just. You know, keep keep your radar up for people who might be struggling. Check check in on people. You know, try and give people you suspect needs help the help that they can get. Um, you know, as for what might come out later with Caleb, you know, now the coroner has said natural causes. I mean, natural causes is kind of a catch-all. Yeah. It just means there wasn't a specific disease like cancer. There wasn't anything sinister, um, you know, like a drug overdose or you know, a gunshot wound. I mean, you know, something that's not really obvious. It just probably means his heart gave out. There may not even be an autopsy once right. he's declared the death as natural causes. So there may not be much more that comes out other than maybe some of the circumstances of how he was living before he died. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I just, you know, make yourself available to, to the people you love in case they need you. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, uh, Purdue guy joining us okay so uh college athletics uh, you know has a lot of things that are uh changing and shifting in your mind what what is the question you want answered in the next uh in the foreseeable future when it comes to sort of the trajectory of the ncaa and power fives and the playoff and all that yeah uh, for me it's going to be um how name image and likeness very quickly turned into pay for play <laughs> and is that something that the NCAA or some governing body somewhere is going to be able to rein in? And I'll just give you a little Purdue perspective on it. Purdue was recruiting Nigel Pack from Kansas State, first team um, all Big 12 and freshman from Indianapolis, uh, to come fill what would be a big role for him. And he would have had like a Carson Edwards role in Purdue's offense, a great fit. Then Miami came along and threw $800,000 at a car at him uh, for two years, and he went there. You can't blame him. I mean, you know, but Purdue's not – I don't know if Purdue will ever pay its entire team $800,000. But they, you know, for Purdue, it's not even in their DNA, this kind of thing. So they've been slow to ramp up the whole NIL thing. Mm -hmm. um, so they end up – that's a guy they lost uh, because of this. But – the $800,000 was clearly not name, image, and likeness. This is a pay-for-play thing 
and this is just one example. There are yeah. dozens of these. Um, but the thing that really struck me about that was that he did not announce his commitment to the school. The school did not announce his commitment to the school. A lawyer did. Like he was announcing a contract. It sounded like a transaction off the MLB wire. You know, we signed an idle pack to an $800,000 contract and a car to play two years for Miami. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, now lawyers are announcing commitments. Something is not right here. Um, but, you know, that's – so to me, it, it's, it's hard to have competitive balance if that kind of thing is going to run rampant. Um, you know, all of that said, I'm in favor, I'm in favor of the players getting to, uh, um, you know, getting some money, you know, getting to earn uh, uh, a living doing this because, you know, it's, it's the American way. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have a problem with it, but uh, um, if the NCAA hopes to have some, you know, competitive balance, this has got to have some boundaries. Well put. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, thank you for joining us to talk about and honor Caleb Swan again and his story. I appreciate you, my friend. you got a good heart. All right. Thanks for having me on. Jerry Palm, there he is, CBS Sports. Uh, number four, Sacramento, with the fourth pick, has selected Keegan Murray from Iowa. The Blazers, not far away at number seven. We'll have it in the next segment. I want you here. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we're following the draft. The Detroit Pistons have just selected uh, Purdue's Jaden Ivey. So he's off the board. He will not be a trailblazer. For those who were hoping, our last guest, Jerry Palm, had sort of pointed out Jaden Ivey wouldn't be a bad fit there. So... It is uh, Jaden Ivey off the board here. If you are a Blazer fan, uh, you are eagerly awaiting the seventh pick. And, you know, the Pistons have made their pick. It'll be the Pacers at six, and then it'll be the Trailblazers. So, Peter, where do you stand right now as you sort of track all this? Uh, how excited are you or interested are you? I'm incredibly – I wish you could see. You already always call it sort of the cockpit. You know, it's like a space shuttle in here. I have – iPads and phones and two TVs and everything yep. going on, like six tabs. I'm tracking this because no one really knows what's going to happen, and it's not that uh, that common. We might not know, you know, in normal years what the Blazers are going to do in terms of who they're going to pick, but once yeah. they pick, we don't even know what, what they're going to do with it. Well, it looks like Arizona's Ben Matherin will be off the board at six. It looks like the yeah. Pacers are going Matherin at six. So that would leave your Blazers uh, at seven. What are they going to do? It's going to be Shaden Sharp or Dyson Daniels. That's where I've been stuck for about three days now. I still believe in that. The only question was, was Sacramento going to take Keegan Murray? Was he going to jump up? He did. So, look, both those guys have massive, massive upside. I mean, again, they could bust out. They're so very young. Shaden Sharp hasn't even played in two years. Mm -hmm. but, but if you're talking a potential superstar which, again, the odds aren't great, you know, that you're going to land a superstar, but those are two guys that could do it. They're, they're at six. It looks like it'll be Matherin off the board, the first Pac-12 player to be picked as uh, he will go uh, at six. And then it'll be a question of what the Blazers do at seven. 
uh, and we're all eager to see this. I think no matter who they pick, it'll be a bunch of speculation in the wake of it, and then uh, everybody wondering, are they keeping the player, or is Adam Silver going to come out half an hour from now and go, we have a trade? Uh, and so we'll, we will... Uh, we will track that as it uh, as it develops and and try to get you uh, right on top of what is happening here. Again, if you're just tuning in, uh, Purdue takes Jaden Ivey at number five. Or excuse me, Detroit takes Purdue's Jaden Ivey at number five. Uh, Indiana appears set to to pick Arizona's Ben Matherin, who I think is a really good player at number six. Very complete player, strong player, mature player. Uh, a a guard that can rebound and and play hard. I didn't like how he went out of the NCAA tournament, but we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that and we'll track that as that pick is coming up. And a very emotional Jaden Ivey, like you know when he got picked, very emotional to him. You like you can tell what this means and how big this is to him. And you see a reaction like that. I mean that's an authentic reaction. He's not like he's sobbing after being picked by the Detroit Pistons, that he is an NBA player, and I think that's really cool to, to get that reaction there. But, uh, again, Blazers now, we're creeping up on their Blazers pick, and uh, I think a whole bunch of people are interested to see what the Blazers are going to do, and uh, we will give you the update, and we'll give you the latest as it happens on this show. It's always weird for me to do these shows because we are tracking the draft in real time, reacting to it, but also, uh, as I sit back and I you know, think about the Blazers' trajectory, this isn't a one-night thing for the Blazers. Like, they made a deal yesterday as they traded for Jeremy Grant. Today, they will pick a player and presumably keep that player. Uh, you know, two days from now, we could see another move. You mentioned earlier the potential for Anthony Simons to be part of a deal. Do you think that that is, is a good thing? Mm. Uh, I I hesitate given, look, let's be real about Damian Lillard. He's 32. He's coming off this abdominal surgery. We don't know if he can do a crunch, let alone play yet. Are you okay uh, leaning into that, knowing that you would be leaning away from, uh, you know, the the idea that uh, Anthony Simons is your future tentpole? Yeah, I mean, and I guess it depends on what you're getting back. If you're just getting a, a nice Jeremy Grant or slightly above level player, no, I hate it. I and but the idea is okay. Truly, if you're gonna take. A legit swing. I'm talking, you know, if Bradley Beal somehow shakes loose, or if this net situation, which I think, frankly, is a bunch of posturing. But what if Kyrie does go and KD demands out? Okay, we'll give you three first round picks. We'll give you a future 23 point per game score. Granted, he can't play any defense, and you can land a Durant. I mean, it, Damian Lillard, he could be 40, but you pair those guys together, you're talking about going for it for one single year. And I'm not going to tell anyone they're crazy if they don't want to do that because I understand all the reasons why. But if you're talking that level of guy, we are a Western Conference Finals contender. We're a Finals contender. I'm going for it. Yeah, I'm torn on giving up. Like, I just watched the Celtics and Warriors, though, Peter, and these these are two teams that were built through the draft. I want to covet those picks right now if I'm Portland, and I want to covet my talent I'm afraid to give up on my talent, and I'm not saying uh, it's a FOMO like Jermaine O'Neal situation, mm. but it's more that I sort of believe that you got you made good picks. And there's nothing sweeter than watching your own player develop into a star. We've all seen that with Damian Lillard and some other Blazers over the years. 
Um, I'd like to see Amphrey Simons get a chance to grow here and develop, but uh, it's show business, not show friends. Uh, the the Pacers appear to be locked on Ben Matherin from Arizona. Is it official? It is in now. Just now, yeah. Uh, first Pac-12 players off the board, and he goes number six to the Indiana Pacers. And so I got to think people in the uh, uh, in the state of Indiana were hoping that Ivy would slip to the Pacers, but instead it's Benedict Matherin uh, who uh, leaves Arizona now to get to the NBA. Who are the Blazers picking? Well, any moment now, Adrian Wojnarowski is going to tweet out what they're going to do, and then it's going to be anticlimactic. But um, it, you know, it appears as though the Blazers—we're not seeing any scuttlebutt about a trade, or it appears that the Blazers are set to make their pick. Will they keep the player? We'll find out. Uh, but I want to stay here, Peter, if we yeah, can, yeah. until this pick is made. And we will uh, we will uh, blow through this. So yeah. um, should should I actually fade up Commissioner Silver when he comes yeah, on for this one? Yeah, let's do let's it. Fade it up, you know, if you want to fade it up as they begin to talk about the pick. Let's hear what they have to say about the Blazers, and you know, I I can interrupt as as we see fit. But it, any moment now, the Blazers are going to pick a player that will change positive or negatively the trajectory, the short term trajectory at least of this franchise, and so. Uh, you know, as as we recap what happened today, a little bit of a surprise at number one as Paolo Bancaro ends up going o- number one overall after the Orlando Magic did what essentially, uh, you know, the 49ers did with Trey Lance. They had faked everybody into thinking that he, he wasn't going to be the pick. Uh, Bancaro wasn't going to be the pick. And then they made him the pick. Uh, and now the Blazers presumably on the clock. As they begin to talk about the Blazers, uh, we can we can just cue right into their programming. But um, Peter, you nervous? I am excited. Yeah, none of the scoop brokers have anything yet, which makes me think something's uh, might be going down here. Yeah, I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it about another sixty seconds before I start to conspiracy fall down the conspiracy theory hole because I think we're all just anxious to see what they're going to do, and uh, you know I think it'll be. Any time now that we will find out if the Blazers are keeping this pick or if there has been a trade. And if there's been a trade, often we don't get the full details, right? You'll just say Adam Silver will come out. He'll say there's been a trade. And, you know, and then suddenly, uh, you know, he'll uh, wind back. Uh, what do you got, Peter? Yeah, no, we don't have any audio yet This is because they're in a commercial break. But this is the unofficial uh, scoop from Shams Charania. Portland will select. Shaden Sharp at number seven. All right, here we go. We're interested to see this. Are they picking for themselves, though? Right. That's the question, or are they picking for somebody else? And uh, we'll see uh, what happens here. And uh, Shaden Sharp was the uh, man, he was a practice player at Indiana, and he could become a lottery pick. You know, as you know, you look at you know a a, a six foot six guard who came out of Kentucky. So, you know, this was a guy that, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, has declared for the draft despite not playing for the Wildcats. He's projected here to go number seven. Everybody had him at seven. USA Today, ESPN, and The Athletic all projected him to go seventh overall. But are the Blazers keeping him? That becomes the question. There it is. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski has, has, uh, um, has tweeted it out. Um, 
I, uh, I, 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 uh, I want I want Blazer fans to weigh in here, but let's wait until it's official. Uh, if you are a Portland fan, um, you tell me. Thumbs up, thumbs down on Shaden Sharp at number seven. To me, it's like you know, there's so much speculation involved in this kind of stuff that it's hard sometimes to uh, to determine whether or not uh, a player is a good pick or a bad pick. Does it make sense? Sure, but. Uh, a lot of times in the league we find out later that we're not seeing the whole picture as Shaden Sharp appears to be set to be the Blazers' pick here at number seven. We're going to wait for it to be official before uh, we start going, uh, but if you are a Blazer fan, I want to hear from you. Um, 503-417-7575, weigh in. Uh, do you keep the pick? Do you move the pick? Do you love the pick? Peter, if it's Shaden Sharp, are you keeping this pick or are you looking to move it? Uh, I'm shopping the pick heavily because he has a huge amount of upside, but ultimately if, if you don't get true value there, you're happy to keep it. Looks like they're going to the stage now, so let's hear this. Let's do it. With the seventh pick in the 2022 NBA Draft, the Portland Trailblazers select Shaden Sharp from London, Ontario and the University of Kentucky. Canadians go back to back. Shaden Sharp, though, fascinating journey. Uh, allow me to introduce Shaden Sharp because the 19-year-old, he's been this season's true man of mystery. Okay. He's international. Hey. He's from London. Uh, but no, not, not that London. London, Ontario, home to a wide range of famous Canadians. You can see some of them there. And basketball, it's Sharp's bag. So for his sophomore year of high school, he went to Bel Air. Uh, no, okay, not, not that Bel Air. Bel Air, Kansas. But after a year, he transferred. He took the Jumbo Jet West to Glendale, Arizona. Became the national number one ranked high school prospect. And then he burst onto the scene at Kentucky, sort of. You can see his measurements there, but he didn't actually play at Kentucky. He practiced, so we're talking about practice, and that's when scouts, they came to see him there. But now exactly who are we getting we can see him there taking his hat heading to portland shaking hands with commissioner adam silver but i mentioned that he's a man of mystery jay kentucky fans hadn't seen him play in a game so who exactly are the trailblazers getting well they didn't see him play because he reclassed from the 2022 high school class to go to college in january he was the number one player in that 2022 or 2022 high school class he's a 6-6 wing he's got a seven foot wingspan and when i go to see kentucky practice i was supposed to be watching the team and i was transfixed watching Shaden Sharp work out on his own with a coach on the side. He's a high wire act, uh, a strong lower body, really fluid, uh, and, and uh, just a high wire act that can get above the rim, but he can also really shoot it. He's got an excellent stroke, great range on his shot. There you can see the explosive that, the, that he's got. You mentioned he played for the Canadian national team. He's just wired to score, but great potential and, and a really high ceiling on him as a super talent. I can't wait to see him play in Portland. So I mentioned that he's from London. There it is. The Trailblazers taking uh, Shaden Sharp, uh, who uh, spent uh, the uh, last season on the practice squad at Kentucky. We'll get you more with the draft uh, coming up. I want you to leave it here. And Peter Sampson has the pulse coming up top of the hour 
He will break it all down. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Blazers have used the number seven pick in the draft to select Kentucky's Shaden Sharp. A lot of upside. Been doing some reading on him, listening to what the experts are saying about him. Frankly, if this is the plan, if they're going to keep him, I I sort of like the pick. It makes sense to me. Uh, General Manager Joe Cronin traded yesterday for Jeremy Grant. Then today he added a high-flying, big-time upside, six-foot-six-inch player in the draft that that uh, could be uh, the kind of player that comes in and and makes a difference in this Portland roster. Right? You get back to you in six months on whether or not this pans out. But it makes sense to me. What has happened since in the draft, Peter Sampson? Yeah, so the New Orleans New Orleans Pelicans with the eighth pick took the other dude that I liked at seven along with Sharp. They took Dyson Daniels from the G League Ignite. He's the Australian phenom. Listed at 6'6". He's since grown to 6'8". Already right now he can guard one through four. The jump shot... At the beginning of the, his year in the G League, Ignite, he couldn't shoot. He finished the year shooting 35-36% from beyond the arc. Th- this guy is, along with Sharp, I think has the best potential to just be a star. Yeah, I think at 7, that's what I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for upside, and I think the Blazers got upside there. I'm never going to sell uh, a phantom to you because, you know, it's not my job to sell tickets and, and tell you what you want to hear, but... To me, uh, I like the pick because it makes sense. It fits. Uh, it, it, you know, I, 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 what I wouldn't want here is the Blazers picking a more mature player who maybe didn't have the upside. I don't mind them taking a little bit of a flyer on a guy who is a flyer. Uh, Jay Billis at ESPN called him a high wire act. I like that. He's got a seven foot wingspan, number one player in the 2022 high school class uh, before he uh, reclassified. And ended up at Kentucky, but for people who have uh, followed Shaden Sharp and maybe had been over the uh, uh, all over the draft uh, news prior to uh, this happening, I think I think uh, this is a really uh, interesting pick, and I think it will uh, it'll be uh, obviously bantered about on the pulse here coming up with Peter Sampson. But uh, are they keeping him, Peter? Do you have a sense that we're all going to go? Oh yeah, we love the guy. Oh no, he's traded. We hate the guy. I I really do feel like they might move this guy, but I don't know. We may hear about something today. I have a feeling that we're going to get through free agency. We're going to get out of the moratorium. And just every year, John, an NBA superstar or two or three shakes loose in the offseason. You look around the league, and I, I can maybe name three guys that you hmm. guarantee are going to be with their same, same team next year, and that's like Steph Curry, Giannis, and Luka. Anyone else, you can make the case. Just yesterday, or a week ago, you could say there's no way Kevin Durant's leaving Brooklyn. I still don't necessarily believe that, but now there's a pathway. I think the Blazers truly are big game hunting. Now, the odds of that succeeding, maybe not great, but uh, at least it, it appears that they're taking a look. Yeah, the the things that I like about Sharp are also the things I don't like about him. Like I I like that he doesn't have a resume because it suggests that there's some upside that nobody knows about. But I also don't like that he doesn't have a resume because I think we got a chance to look at Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith and some of these other players and maybe discern that, you know, they've got some flaws in their game. Like we don't know what we don't know when it comes to to uh to Shaden Sharp, so we'll have to keep an eye on that.
uh, coming up. Who's on the Who's on the clock now? Uh, we have got? the Spurs on the clock. Uh, there's one minute left on the clock. I knew who they're picking, but it's not official yet. Yeah. Well, there we go. This will all be part of the coverage here, continuing on 750 The Game in Portland. Is Peter Sampson's going to give you an hour of radio coming up at the top of the hour that is going to be jam-packed. It's going to be rich. It's going to be good. Peter, you've been fantastic on this draft today and this Thank hour. You. I think that will continue uh, in your hour of radio on the Pulse. So I think uh, if you are interested in what's going on with the Blazers and the NBA, you're going to want to leave it right here as Peter Sampson takes you home. But, uh, again, it is Shaden Sharp who is um, helping the Blazers turn the corner. It'll be He'll be charged with that. But um, it's really interesting. You know, Kentucky had the option of playing him late in the season, but they didn't want to do that. It, and in part, it was because I don't think Camp Sharp wanted his advisor is Dwayne Washington of a Canadian AAU program, and basically they sort of said we don't want him to just be thrown into a late season game. Um, you know, he could have been in there. You know, when when uh, Kentucky lost to St. Peter's. In the NCAA tournament, he could have been on the floor. He his his handlers did not want him thrown into that situation. Does that bother you at all? They were thinking draft even then. Yeah, I mean it doesn't, and it's kind of like the Kayvon Thibodeau situation where if this were five years ago, I'd kind of be maybe I would have some questions about it. But it's just the world that we live in. He was thinking about his future from day one. Now you're right though that might, while it does intrigue and sort of entice us, maybe there are some flaws that we're not aware of. I mean, he, kid's 19 yeah. years old. He hasn't played in a year and a half. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Right, he hasn't played, but he is up against. He'll be up against in the league. Players who have been playing and other, you know, freshmen in college like Banchero and Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, who, who got a full year of basketball. So, keep an eye on how that may manifest itself moving down the doing down the road. So um, he's got no resume. He was selected prominently in this draft. Um, I think he went about where people expected him to go because you can't put him in front of players who are proven. But then he is at the top of that next list, uh, that grouping of players. So, um, you know, you've got uh, an op an option here, and it it is much uh, from the same mold as Anthony Simons, is it not? Like. I remember some of the same conversations when Simons was picked. Yeah, very, very similar. The Almost the lack of resume. If they had waited a year, maybe they would be the number one player in their class. A lot yeah. of parallels. Well, I want you to leave it here as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are going to take us home. Grab a podcast of this show. We're back tomorrow. We'll tell you what it means. What are the Blazers going to do? What's going to happen in the draft? Leave it right here as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up. You got the bald-faced truth. Uh, I'm not here for a long time. Obviously, just a good time.